0: by the way, for the audience listening. Welcome, Nicole. Thanks. To the in placeholder name Paul Singh podcast. Yeah. That's, I yeah, I might have to come up with a better name. Maybe it's like the sing. Podcast? I feel like
1: it'll just come to you. I actually like that you started without a name because I think a lot of people get these ideas to start something and they get so bogged down by like, what's my logo? What's my name? What's my whatever? Who cares? Just start creating stuff. So I think that that's like pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Startup mindset. Just build a plane as you fly it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everything
1: else will figure itself it's out. It's the
0: complete antithesis, antithesis. I can't even say that word. Okay. So it's the complete paradoxical... <laughs> way of how I think maybe that's a better word I can use I can even say that word and english is not my first language but <laughs> so for the audience listening um how do we know each other
1: my first memory of you is um from our mutual friend preet and um i always knew about you cuz you were his really good friend. And I, I was Preet's really good friend. So I was like a little bit jealous of you. And then when we met at his wedding, you were like, Hey, I'm Paul Preet's best friend. I'm like, I'm Nicole (laughs) Preet's best friend. (laughs) So I remember there being some like playful competition there for me anyways. You probably were like, who is this girl? Whatever. Um, but that's my first memory of you. And then we were, yeah, we were in his wedding, did that little walkout dance thing. That was kind of cool
0: yeah i thought you were whatever at that time yeah and you're like, so i no agree
1: competition. <laughs> i
0: i totally agree with that sentiment i was like not even close not even and close. then the other thing was um when we first met when we were competing against sort of preets attention mm-hmm. um i knew that i was going to be the best man so i knew that you didn't have a chance
1: got it <laughs> God. And I think you're still winning at this competition because before we started recording, we were talking about, I'm like, hey, man, when was the last time you saw Preet? And you're like, oh, we just hang out together all the time every day, basically. So
0: That's true. Cool. Um, I lose. <laughs> so <laughs> our friendship uh, has started off with a dear friend, Preet, mm-hmm. and he is going to be on the podcast some point. Um, he just has, you know, so many things on his plate from the baby to his new house to his jobs and all the side projects that he's working on i was gonna
1: say he probably has like 17 business ideas or startups that he hasn't even told anybody about yet like My God. every time i meet up with him because we see each other probably like once every six months i'm like what's going on man he's like oh, i started this new business I'm like okay another one
0: huh <laughs> so so you're very exposed to you know his sort of craving to do something new shiny he objects likes to build He likes to build. So, okay. So for the audience listening, um, who is Nicole and what is she currently doing Mm -hmm. uh, before we do a deep dive into sort of your backstory? Sure.
1: Um, Okay. So what I'm currently doing, uh, I would say kind of falls into three buckets. Um, The first thing I do is marketing, growth, whatever you want to call it, consulting, um, for founders of, I would say around like seed stage or less or earlier stage companies. Um, I left my job as like a marketing executive about a year ago and went out on my own. So I've been doing that for the last year. Um, I also started my own e-commerce company. So I am also a founder myself. Um, and I'm building that and figuring that out as I go as well. So that's kind of the second bucket. And then the third bucket is um, actually recently and like very recently, I would say in the last month or so, I kind of started to reflect on like, oh crap, it's been a year since I went out on my own and started figuring this world out. Um, I started reflecting on that, some of my learnings, what's worked for me, what hasn't. um, And I've just felt like called to share a little bit about that. I think a lot of people in my immediate network, um, women in particular, are craving or want to make that jump from maybe their very successful careers to working for themselves, getting a little bit more time, freedom and, and whatnot. Um, and so I've just kind of started sharing more about my experience and my learnings. And as a result, um, I've had a lot of people reaching out to me recently, um, in more of like a coaching, like mentoring capacity, I would say I would either women trying to, accelerate their corporate careers or women trying to make that jump um, into working for themselves. So I've just been really enjoying that work as well. And I'll just see where that takes me. So those are kind of my three arenas right now, I'd say.
0: Right. So I have been seeing the coaching stuff and that's Mm -hmm. the stuff that I was following and seeing some of the stuff that you were posting on LinkedIn. You Mm -hmm. have become very active on LinkedIn uh, in recent times. And Mm -hmm. so I love some of the stuff that you're sharing. So if I was to quickly summarize one aspect of it is that you are now paying it forward. You're also mm. sort of taking your experiences and your learnings and you are trying to help others who might be having similar mental, financial blocks, or yeah. blocks or challenges. Right. Yeah. Uh, but for the audience, to think one uh, quickly, if you were to just summarize sort of this startup that you are. Mm. would it be a startup i yeah, would say very much so so <laughs> what does this startup do uh and then we'll sort of pivot into your backstory
1: tall size is what you're talking about right yes yeah. yes yeah so um yeah so for everyone listening watching you can't see because i'm sitting down but i'm very tall for a woman so i'm six foot four nope i'm six feet my business partner is six foot four um and we about like two years ago we're jamming about how frustrating it is to find clothing um, that fit our longer proportions. Um, So we set out to build um, what right now is like the first ever online shopping platform for tall women. So we partner with a bunch of different uh, brands who make clothing for tall women, bring them all into one place, because historically tall women were spending hours online just trying to find a pair of pants that would be long enough or sleeves that would reach the wrist or whatever the item is um they can't just walk into a store and like buy clothes um so that is what i've built we obviously have really big vision for it um over time but for now it's 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 basically like an online marketplace where you can find clothes that fit you if you're tall
0: i'm actually surprised that you know we're in 2022 and there's no dedicated brand or shop Store. There store
1: brands. So I would say there are clothing brands that uh-huh. make clothing uh, for tall women, but, uh, it's still a very untapped market. Like right. there are, and actually over throughout COVID, a lot of brands started to surface. So they are newer, smaller brands, a lot of, um, women just kind of took it into the tall women, took it into their own hands and started making their own clothing. Uh, But because they're smaller, they don't have the marketing budgets for to get their name out there and whatnot. So uh, that's where we kind of come in as we bring them all onto our platform. We don't have overhead of inventory and manufacturing and all that stuff. Our overhead is marketing. So we help get customers for them so that they can focus on like designing and creating the clothing.
0: Right, right.
1: But it's pretty wild how, um, so we did obviously a lot of market research. There's like 200 million women globally who are, it's actually five foot eight and above is what our customers are. I thought it would be like five five foot and eight. I thought it would be like five, 10, five, 11 and above, but they range based on our data, they range from five foot eight to six foot six. Um, Most of them, I would say the the biggest pocket is five foot 10 to six foot three. Um, But yeah, as little, as short as five, eight, because some five foot eight women have really long legs, short torsos or the other way around, so.
0: So in this, I'm guessing because these girls or women are five foot eight and above, their feet are probably much bigger, too. And they probably struggle with that as well.
1: Yeah. So we the shoes we sell, we like strictly only sell size nine and above for nine to 15.
0: Oh, Mm -hmm. shoot. That is so cool. Okay, Mm -hmm. so we're going to we're going to circle back Mm -hmm. on some of the stuff that you're currently doing and how, you know, some of the story around your startup and what got it started now, all that stuff. Uh, But let's take a step back. Or not a step back, let's rewind the clock, uh, or as Marty Fly would say, you know, go back to the future uh, in some sense. Uh, so let's go back to sort of where you grew up, um, and what were you like back then uh, as a child, and what were you thinking and dreaming of at that as a
1: kid? Yeah, um, so I grew up in a small town called Stroud. It is like an hour and a half, I would say, uh, north of Toronto. It's close to Barrie. It's probably the biggest city that people know of. Uh, I lived there basically my whole life. Um, It's it's very small. Two stoplights, no gas station, like very, very small. Um, And I went to public school there um, and basically was there up until university. Um, and yeah, I would say my early days, my dream was to be a doctor. I wanted to be a pediatrician. I don't know why a pediatrician to be honest, but whatever. I wanted to work with kids. Um, and that was, that was the goal that, and then I, I spent a lot of time playing basketball. Um, so there was a point in time where, The dream was to like get a full ride to a D1 school down in the States, become a doctor, live the dream. Uh, I didn't do either of those two things, but I would say everything up until second. Oh, I guess university was like dedicated to those dreams.
0: Anybody in your house like a doctor? Like, how did that idea even come to your. No.
1: No one in my house is a doctor. My brother and I are actually the first kids in our family with like and beyond like between cousins and stuff like that, that i ever went to university. So no one at all um, in my family. So that was actually like a very proud moment for my, for my parents, of course. Um, do you want to know where the idea came from? It's a little bit.
0: I do that. That would be the juicy gossip. Let's get to the bottom of this.
1: Okay. My favorite movie growing up was save the last dance and Derek, who I had a huge crush on when I was younger wanted to be a pediatrician and i was like hey what's a pediatrician and then i started to learn about it and i was like i like kids i like derek that's what i want (laughs) to (laughs) be so maybe that's why i didn't follow through with it because like my why was clearly not deep enough but that's how i found out about the profession and then doctors make you know how it is when you're younger right be a lawyer be a doctor be a this so i thought it was like a smart thing to do
0: that is the funniest (laughs) and the most adorable story
1: Oh yeah yeah that's where it all started save the last dance <laughs> i'm
0: so glad that you shared that story
1: <laughs> i still have a crush on derek by the way he's still yeah derek if you're listening I know.
0: Right? <laughs> initially you wanted to become a pediatrician and you wanted to play basketball mm-hmm. i think what i found really interesting was that you were as you described That one is that something like that was expected, which is very odd to hear. That's typically something that you hear with like Asian families where they're expected to be a doctor and an engineer. So I'd love to sort of pry a little bit there of how that came about. And then two is you also talked about that you're the, you and your brother are the only ones who actually spent, who actually got educated and went to, to school and stuff. So what does the rest of the family do?
1: Like my immediate family, like my parents? Yeah. So let me answer your first question. So, um, I would actually say that I didn't have the pressure from my parents as part it being an expectation. It wasn't that intense. They were honestly just supported anything we wanted to do, but they did have, um, they did want us to be successful and they did want us to invest in careers that had longevity and and whatever to them. Right. So I think that's where, when I shared, I wanted to be a doctor, they were probably like, Hell yeah! Like let's do it, right? And supported me in that. I know they wanted at one point my brother to be an engineer, like it was that kind of thing. Um, They were very supportive, so I would just say it wasn't wasn't anything too intense on that front. Um, But yeah, my my dad is in sales. He works in the logistics industry. I'm now starting to understand what that means. But my whole life, I was like, yeah, my dad's in logistics. Whatever the heck that is. Um, So yeah, he's in he's in sales. He's actually. 16 he just went out and started his own business which is really cool so he had a really successful career and then kind of went and started his own shipping and logistics company with all of his with his his network which i think is really inspiring at that age to do so that's that and then my mom she raised us
0: that is so cool so the mom's a housewife yeah and the dad was in sales this is like a very classical sort of like north american sort of story like the backdrop is like you know you live in a small town the dad's in sales (laughs) yeah um but maybe you know you know there is some merit and some something unique about stereotypes
1: yeah yeah i mean yeah i mean honestly i had a really really amazing upbringing um and i think the i actually was very fortunate to have um to have one of my parents around with us all the time um
0: I think so he wasn't a traveling salesman
1: and he was for a little bit i would say when we were like way younger but as we got older he didn't travel as much um but just to have that dynamic of like a parent always home and and there for us and and all of that but um also a parent out there kind of working and, and doing their thing as well was a is a cool dynamic
0: that's so cool. I'm grateful for it anyway. That is actually really cool that your dad is actually in sales. So did you at all get exposed to sales? Because I think you yeah, just said- Yeah,
1: okay, my dad, he would like, now that you asked me that question, this just reminds me, growing up, my dad's like, you need to be in sales. You need to be a-. I'm like, dad, I'm going to be a pediatrician, man. Back off. I don't need to be in sales. <laughs> uh, but he, I think he saw something in my personality. Um, I know it's just got really itchy out of nowhere. But anyways, um, he saw something in my personality that I should be in sales. And I kind of, even, I don't know if, it, I think his name's Jordan Belfort. Yeah. Is that the guy from Wolf of Wall Street? So I guess he did these sales training videos and I remember my dad like giving them to me and I would do them and take notes when I was like in high school. Yeah, I forgot about that until you just asked me. But yeah. Oh my God. So
0: the seed had been planted (laughs) and it detonated much later, which we'll come to in a a bit wow so so you did get exposed to sales and so there was some influence and your dad mm-hmm. sort of that voice of your dad somewhere um, he's
1: also like very entrepreneurial i would say like growing up he always had Um, different ideas. I would say he started a lot more than he actually finished, but it was cool to see him just go for it, you know? So um, whether it was some photography stuff or whatever it was, he did so many different things, uh, had a lot of different passions and stuff that he would turn into little side hustles, which was kind of cool. So I I definitely think I got that from him because that is is so
0: (laughs) cool. I mean, to have to be exposed to parents who encourage taking risks, Mm -hmm. you know, and, not worrying about if it fails or if it doesn't just go, you know, so I think that's, that's fantastic. So, so as a child, you are living in a house where your mom's sort of the housewife And the dad's a salesperson and he is exposing you to sales a little bit. And you've seen the Jordan Belfort (laughs) videos. I totally forgot. I'm so curious what that looked like back then and what that.
1: I'm pretty sure. I can't remember if they were VHS or if they were like the DVD things that came in. Like there was like 12 of them. Like you had to do the whole series. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Oh my God. I remember there was these cassette tapes, which were how to memorize stuff. And there's a box set of these cassettes my uncle had at his house where you listen to those tapes. And it will teach you how to improve your memorization skills. Back, <laughs> back then. Now, all that content just lives on YouTube. Anyway, so <laughs> the, so, so back then, you're, you're growing up in this household. You're mm-hmm. in a small town. And so what is your worldview like? At what age did you get that growth spurt where you just mm-hmm. shot up from, you know, the rest of the kids in school?
1: Oh, yeah. I, I've always... I- don't remember a time in my life where I wasn't always way taller. Like one specific memory is I remember I was so young, like, I don't know, kindergarten, however old you are in kindergarten. I don't even know. Clearly I don't have kids. Um, that I was, my parents put me in ballet and I remember watching this like home video of me at one of my recitals and they all just followed me like a little pack of ducklings because I think they thought I was their mom or something because I was so much taller than the rest of the girls in my class terrible about like ballet. I was stomping around everywhere. Um, but I genuinely don't remember a time in my life where I was not way taller than everybody. Um, so that, that played a huge role in who I am today, but also a huge role in my, in my childhood. Um, but no, like when I think back to that time, my view was all about, like, like I said, it was basketball was a big part of my, um, my childhood and in high school and whatnot. Um, and navigating, High school and puberty and all that kind of stuff, as someone who was significantly taller than everybody else, was also interesting and challenging as well.
0: Right. And, you know, for the audience listening, because we're recording this for the third time because of technical issues before, you did mention earlier, yeah. and I think you can talk about this, is, you know, how your parents would encourage you to stand tall. So, do you want to t- talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think my parents obviously knew from a young age, my dad's six foot four, by the way. So this is where it comes oh. from. He's six, four, and my mom's five, five. <laughs> um, so they just knew from a young age that I was going to be really tall. And they, they both always encouraged me to embrace it and to own it. Um, to my, I remember they would be like, Nicole, and they like, like, stand up straight. I'm like, okay. Okay. You know? And so like, it was a, it was a reminder, but it's, and I'm grateful for it. Um, and it really just without them really maybe knowing it or me knowing it at the time, it it taught me to just be who I am and embrace who I am and not feel like I have to shrink to fit in or make people comfortable or whatever, right. So that was that was big. Um the other thing that I'm super grateful for is they put me into basketball. Um, which obviously gave my height a purpose. Um, not that I think height needs to have a purpose, but at that time I did believe that. Um, and I think a lot of people, women in particular, do believe that if you're a tall woman, you should put it to use in some way. Um, so that was that was good because it a put me around other girls who were tall like me. Um, and it almost like glorified my height in a way. Right. It made it like a really, um, great thing to have. And so I think that did a lot for my, my confidence. Um, so yeah. And I, I think it's, it's funny cause Growing up, I thought like basketball was, was my thing. And that's what I was put on this earth as a tall woman to do. But when I didn't continue on with basketball, honestly, like it wasn't until recently in the last couple of years where I'm like, oh, well, I guess I kind of wasted that, you know? And so now I'm starting to realize like my height is something very, very powerful for me that I, um, I'm realizing now it's just kind of showing itself in different ways, which I also think is pretty cool, but it took a while to get there.
0: So when you got into this basketball team and you know you met other girls who were taller what kind of conversations or what did you actually learn from them or what what would you, how would you sort of help each other out get through that because I'm guessing it was just probably like a really small group of girls who were like tall
1: yeah like yeah the tall girls were always the ones who played down down by the basket get the rebounds everyone else would carry the ball up and stuff like that so it was usually like I don't know if you had a team of 15 girls, four were tall, right. And the rest were, yeah, like more guard, oh. they were guards, right. So they were a little smaller and a little more agile. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, actually like for me, I think, um, I don't know that we did anything in the moment to support each other that we realized we were doing. I think just being in the company of tall, other tall women, uh, that alone is just supportive, right? Um, Instead of always being like the token tall girl in your group of friends who in every picture you're like, feel like you need to bend over to fit into the picture or you look awkward, you know? So I think just being in the company of tall women, um, I'm realizing this now as an adult, um, is extremely important, but I think that's the benefit of being on a a sports team, like a basketball team or volleyball or whatever your sport is. Um, It just makes you feel a little less awkward about your height I guess there's others around you that are in a similar space
0: right so you've been basically staring down at people without a choice
1: mm-hmm. yeah I can see everything concerts I can see it all yeah I got a good it's
0: team. like don't don't look down on people unless you can't help it
1: I know right? <laughs> it's not intentional I swear <laughs> yeah. yeah so
0: you so okay so there's there's two things that I sort of take away from what you were saying one is that Early on, I think you got a flavor of when you find like your cohort, your peer group, mm-hmm. and what that does for you, whether you knew it analytically or it was just sort of happening intuitively. Yeah. Um, and and, and, I, and I think there's going to be some element of that in terms of the coaching things that you talked about. And maybe there's some connecting dots there. And then two, y- you were trying to f- uh, get a cl- not acclimatized to your body, but getting one with who you are you know and and just finding yourself and it's almost like you know when you watch like superhero movies where you know the the superpowers the the initially like for example superman he's struggling to figure out you know how to use the superpowers and he sees it as a negative and he wants to just be a normal kid and you know in your situation you were going through sort of similar mental and physical challenges so do you want to talk a little bit about that
1: yeah, I think like I just honestly I think you said it perfectly Is like being tall as a woman in in my eyes is a superpower. And unfortunately, society makes you think otherwise and I would say a good portion of tall women don't believe that about themselves, right? And so I think that's another reason why I'm I'm so passionate about this this business that we've built is that if I can just pass on that learning or like help other tall women kind of step into that, if that's all I can do as a result of this, like that is a home run, right? Like that is so cool to me. And I think, um, I think I can't remember if I said this earlier or not, but um, I think growing up, I thought, I thought A, I needed a purpose for my height. And then I thought that was basketball. And so there was a while there in my life, like university up until a couple of years ago where I felt like I wasted that, right? Um, But now knowing that like, it's surfacing in this whole other purpose. And like, that is what I'm here to do or what I'm on this earth to do is really, really cool. It's so rewarding. Like already it's been so rewarding. Um, and I think that your earlier point around finding your people, um, so I experienced that as a young age on, on basketball teams and things like that. But even now, like, um, whether it's like, this is happening, I guess in two ways in my life right now, which is, it has been very, very, um, impactful is, um, so on the tall side of things, I'll stop talking about being tall, but, um, on the tall side of things, it's cultivating this community of tall women. And I I'm also just noticing I'm making more and more friends who just happen to be tall, which is kind of cool. And there wasn't too long ago where I was out with a couple of these ladies and I was just like standing taller because it's like, you're around people that just like make you feel good. Right. And it's just, it was a cool feeling. And actually one of them said at the end of the weekend, she was like, she had posted something on Instagram, like get yourself some tall girlfriends because you like, you might just stand a little bit taller. You might just feel a little bit more powerful. So that is really cool. And that's kind of what I want to be able to do with, with our customers and our community is bring them together. So they just feel a little bit more normal. If that's the word, I don't know, whatever. Um, And then on the other side of that is now that I am a founder, myself, an entrepreneur, myself, um, I've noticed myself, building a bit of a network of other female founders uh, at a similar stage as myself so that we can kind of just go through this together, right? Like nobody says you have to do any of this shit alone. And I think it's so important to find your people and find your communities. Um, So I've really enjoyed being able to participate in these, in these communities, but also like I'm realizing I'm kind of building them now too, which is really cool.
0: Right. Right. So I think the part about, getting comfortable in your own skin and, you know, depending on your context, mm-hmm. depending on, you know, if you're a girl guy or, you know, the X, Y, Z, whatever the other genders are as growing up, you know, you as a tall person, you know, to fit in, I think something that you said is that, you know, you, you would hunch to fit in yeah, versus putting, bringing your shoulders back and standing tall and being yeah. proud of who you are. Um, I think there is, that element that, that comes through not only in your childhood but now that you're building you know peer groups and friends you're giving that you're sort of giving back and encouraging others to do the same and i hope that other, you know younger girls who potentially might be listening to this uh, look at your story from a, a point of encouragement and see that being tall is actually a superpower even though it's just one small physical attribute But it can, from what I'm hearing is it can mean a lot more.
1: It is like as a tall woman, it's literally, it takes up a lot of headspace. It does in a negative way, unfortunately, right? Growing up. Um, So yeah, it is a superpower. Like, cause the second you can turn that around, still let it take up that headspace, but like use it to your benefit, not to your, like as a disadvantage, right? Um, Right. So do you, by the way,
0: do you remember any like funny stories of you being tall and how that would have looked like in terms of? Maybe guys trying to talk to you or you trying to, you know, make friends or, you know, just trying to do like regular things like go on roller coasters, for example.
1: Oh, oh, yeah. I could ride all the roller coasters at a young age. <laughs> yeah, my claim to fame. No, I think it's just like, honestly, it's just everyday stuff. And um, just like you could be at the grocery store and see someone struggling to grab something and they're like and they give you the look. They don't say it, but I'm like, OK, here, <laughs> like you know, Um Or like you're hanging out with friends and they're like, oh, Nicole, can you just get this for me? I don't want to grab a stool and whatever. So there's like little things like that, which are funny. Um, I think the other interesting thing is dating. I was online dating for a while and noticed that the height that men put in their profile is often one or two inches taller than what they actually are in person. So you always have to factor that in um so that's interesting um but yeah it's it's really just like every every day kind of stuff and then you get the classic like do you play basketball do you do like all these weird questions that strangers just ask (laughs) you and it's like i'm not asking you what sport you play buddy (laughs) right i
0: think they, they probably find that like as an easy way in and ask like the most obvious question Oh, she's tall. Maybe she plays basketball. Yeah.
1: I'm like, well, you're short. Like, I'm not making assumptions about you, dude. <laughs> yeah. I kind of laugh it off now, but like, it can be annoying. Right. Or if people don't use the right, like descriptive words, like, wow, you're really big or you're massive or you're huge. I'm like, can we not use those words?
0: Yeah. 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 So yeah. it's yeah. just. Uh, so according to you, what and to maybe the girls listening who are, you know, young and and just overall overall. What would be the best way to describe your physical attribute of being tall? And I don't know we, we'll move we'll past the, the whole tall subject, but uh, <laughs> but I think it's, it, 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 it's so simple. Some of these so innocuous sort of things can sometimes in, like have an inflection point in somebody's personality, their temperament, and how they feel about themselves, and then the, how they sort of uh, take that perception and put that onto the world that they their world their world view actually what is the best way according to you instead of saying massive big Uh, i see so what do you think is like uh, the the better language to use in terms of when somebody would want to describe like let's say a a guy's listening and he's into a a tall girl so what is the best way he can describe her where she feels complimented and comfortable in her skin and emphasizes her without saying oh do you play basketball or are you like so massive Mm. so what would be um, In your experience, what do you, and this could be different for everyone.
1: Yeah, yeah, know, I think this is a really good question. I would say, um, make an attempt to comment on something other than her body first. That's, so does she have nice eyes? Does she have a nice smile? Um, do you know her and really like something about her personality? Right? Like I think for anybody tall t- that it goes for tall people, but just for anybody, right? There's like the first thing you, you shouldn't say something about somebody's body the first minute you meet them. Right. It's, it's different, but it's like, if you saw someone who was overweight, you don't walk up to them and make a comment about that. Right. And I know that a lot of times when people say, um, oh, you're so tall or whatever, it's actually like, it can be meant as a compliment or it's just like an observation, but for someone who struggles with that, um, and it's a lot of women who do, it's not taken in that way. Right. So I think that's where the disconnect is, um, where I think people actually are saying it in like an admirable way or, even sometimes just like holy crap kind of way like a surprised um but if some if a, if someone's really insecure about their height it can be pretty damaging so i my advice would just be make a comment about something else other than their their body um or if you must if you are referring to them and you want to tell a story specific to their height just use the word tall that's a
0: really good point actually I, in fact i would sort of extend what you're saying not only to just you know personal settings, but even professional settings. Because mm-hmm. you know when you're, typically when you're like meetings or before meetings, you know people make small talk. Is look at the person in terms of how they think, how they see the world,
2: yeah,
0: versus their physicality, yeah, right. Uh, so so ask them something about where they're coming from or what excites them. I think that's that's a way better approach. And just commenting on something and 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 because they might be self conscious about yeah. that thing, I don't think you know if so, if somebody has some physical attribute, you know maybe like Cindy Crawford had like a pimple, not a pimple, but like a dimple beauty, a, be- oh, a beauty, beauty mark, mark. Yeah, yeah. beauty mark right yeah. um I think she knew she had that mark on her face, right I think
1: she might
0: have been aware and i I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> sure that, uh, the countless number of guys that have gone up to her and be like, oh do you." <laughs> <laughs> do you yeah. have a target on your face
1: but some people like that is a sign of beauty right or a signal of beauty yeah, so yeah it's yeah. like some people might make a comment because they love that but you don't yeah. know if she's self-conscious about it right so yeah yeah just like don't make comments about people's bodies that's like that yeah if we were to summarize. totally
0: <laughs> totally agree i think that, that's a really good point i think you know especially uh girls who are girls are especially very self-conscious about these things and they're far more like attuned socially adapt and they can read facial language they yeah. they just do that really well yeah. um i think a sh- uh, by the way not not, not comparing the woman to this character but one character that comes to mind is shrek mm. and shrek is you know when you see that cartoon it explains all of these things in such a beautiful way that he is like this ogre yeah. but he's such a beautiful personality oh. right anyways so uh, let's just move past <laughs> this <laughs> uh but it's it's good 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 insight good learning that you know uh in in settings and there's something because of your personal experience it's better to focus more on the personality than the physicality and um, i
1: know like i know we're harping on it a lot but i actually like in this conversation with you and i'm also just realizing like how much this physical attribute of mine has played a role in so much right like yeah. so Yes, we won't belabor it, but it, I think it is like an important thread actually that I'm realizing as of late as well. so
0: yeah, and I think as from the tone that I've and some of the things that you've said, I think you are proud of it, you're confident in your skin now. and what's wrong in calling it out, right? Uh, depending on, of course, the context. Yeah. okay, so so you're in school, you're you've joined the basketball team, you found your you know peer group. You've also uh, had some fascination with becoming a doctor and you know, there's a beautiful story there. Um, And so what got you out of that small town and into a bigger town? Like how did that, Yeah. what was that phase like and what happened there?
1: Yeah. So my parents still live in the exact house. So Stroud is very much still there. Um, But I think it was university. So I went away to university. I went to Queens university, which was also felt like a small Stroud Just somewhere else. But anyways, um, I went to Queens and then right out of school, I wanted to move to the city and have like a Toronto girl job um, and found a place actually not too far from you um, in Cabbage Town, I guess this is called. Uh Yeah. um, Off of Parliament. I lived in a house there with three other girls I didn't know. And that's when I discovered Toronto.
0: (laughs) Oh, so so right after Queens you got you moved to Toronto.
1: Well.ca where I met. That's where I was working with pre. I got a job at Well.ca out of school.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you're coming in from a small town, hot, coming in from, you know, flying in hot from a yep. small town into a big town. Mm-hmm. Uh and so at that time you started working with well.ca where... Mm-hmm. You know, you met Preet, who you know is common friends between us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Preet, I know you're listening to this, so hey, what's hey up? That's <laughs> What's up? <laughs> We're just calling out the elephant in the yeah. room, yeah. Um, or you know, the sing in the room, S I N G H. So, so you moved to Toronto, and, and the first job that you got it was Well.ca. Yeah, and. So there's this whole backstory of you wanting to be a doctor, mm-hmm. but and, you know, you wanted to pursue basketball, but then that paused. you went to Queens. You, I think you mentioned that you studied biology.
1: Yeah. So I did go to school for, to be a doctor. Um, so I had quit basketball in grade 11 or 12. Cause I just couldn't go. I, I just didn't love it enough to keep going with it. So I quit basketball and I was like, no, I need to focus on being a doctor. That's what I want to do. So I dedicated all of my time to that. Um, yeah, I went to, I was in biology at Queens. Um, and then I specifically remember writing my MCAT. I gave myself a lot of time because I'm not the smartest, like academically, I'm not great. Like I never had, I had good grades in high school, but like I barely passed university barely. Um, and so I was like, let me write it in second year. And then again, in third year. And then again, in fourth year, when it actually matters, like I wanted to give myself some practice. Cause I knew I would probably fail a couple of times. So anyways, I wrote it for the first, the MCAT for the first time in second year, I took like a summer course in Toronto. I was living up in Stroud and I would drive down to Toronto three nights a week to like study the stuff. And there was other kids in this class who cared a lot about it and I was just like looked around I'm like all right this is literally like their summer job is to pass the MCAT and I was like working at a golf course and then trying to pass the MCAT on the side so I was like there's no way this is gonna go down and I also just realized I, I didn't want it badly enough um, so yeah I wrote it I failed miserably um, the first time I wrote it. And then I kind of just was like, this isn't for me, but, um, I had to I finished school. So I finished the next two years in my school. So I technically have a biology degree, but I'm using 0% of it. Um, and then, yeah, in the last couple of years of school, I just took whatever electives I could, I filled with business courses. So maybe this is where the sales thing comes back. Maybe I was always meant to be in sales and marketing and then went on a little detour and, and started to come back to that. So.
0: I think your dad's voice, yeah. <laughs> secretly, you know, when he planted that seed when you were a kid. Yeah. I think that started I'm to sprout. in the of Wall
1: Street, just <laughs> in my brain. <laughs> you need to go into sales. So, yeah, that's
0: <laughs> so the, the voice of your dad and Jordan Belfort yep, uh, started to sprout um, once you realized, once you noticed. I think this is probably, I don't know if this is the first time that you notice people who are actually passionate about a subject and, you know, how they feel about like, their role was just to pass this thing. And for you, you were not passionate about it. And you got yourself a job at a golf course. What was oh, that like? Oh,
1: yeah, I just, like, was um, working at a golf course. It was actually my, like, grade 11 biology teacher. She owned a golf course, like, her husband and her, I guess. that he, he ran it. Um, So I would just work there in the summers. It was the best job ever. I just got to drive around on the golf cart, give people beer, barbecue some burgers and stuff here and there, cut some grass. It was really good.
0: That is so cool. And I think there's another thing that you mentioned that, you know, when you were, even though you were not passionate about this, you didn't want to eventually become a doctor and you took a lot of business courses, you were like, yeah, I knew I was going to fail a couple of times. And you were so comfortable saying that because you were not afraid of failing.
1: Mm, I'm afraid of failing. I would say like in that context, maybe I wasn't as afraid because I didn't want it that bad. Right. I would say for the things I really want, even to this day, I'm still afraid to fail. I think everybody is in some degree to some degree, but I think in hindsight, I just didn't want it bad enough, so I didn't really care. I was more so just like planning the logistics. I'm like, okay, if I want to go to med school right after, let me give myself some time to fail a couple times first. Otherwise, I won't be able to go to med school until three, four years out, right?
0: We're definitely going to talk about afraid to fail when we sort of come back to where you are currently. Uh, I think that's going to be really helpful for other women especially and people who want to get on their journey of starting something and are holding back um okay so so you you've moved to Toronto and you've got your first job at well.t how did that come about and what were you doing back then
1: oh that's such a good question and I actually still think it's like such a good strategy to this day so my dad being in sales was I was I applied to so many jobs when I was in university like um trying to get in with P and G and Johnson and Johnson, like all the CPG companies that all the cool commerce kids went to. I was trying to do that, but I wasn't a cool commerce kid. I literally got rejected from so many of those jobs because I was a science student, not a commerce student. So fine. That's cool. Um, but my dad, I guess being in logistics and transportation and whatever, uh, well, I think he was targeting well.ca to be a customer to move stuff to their warehouse or something. And I was like, Oh, this place looks kind of cool. It looks like they're hi- hiring a marketing coordinator. You should apply for it. And I was like, all right, And he was like, you need to find the VP of marketing and hit her up on LinkedIn directly in her inbox, go straight to the hire." I'm like, "Okay." so I did that. So he helped me. He used some tool to help me find her name is Paige Malling, uh, helped me find her email address. And I applied the normal route. But then I also just hit her up and was like, hey, here's some stuff that I've done, whatever. Right. And just shared my experience with her. And I got an interview and I got the job, which was really cool. And I still think to this day, that is such a smart way to do things like do whatever you can to like stand out amongst the stack of other students or the other papers of people who are applying. Yeah. It could be as small as, even if you don't get one-on-one with the hiring manager, just being like, hey, here's my resume. Even when people have done this to me, I'll look at it and be like, oh yeah, this person's pretty legit. And the first thing I do is forward it to the recruiter, whoever, right? And it sets them apart. So yeah, it worked for me and I, I still stand by that. I think that that's a really smart approach.
0: I love that. I totally agree. In fact, you know, when you're applying for a job, um, do apply the the way that the companies prescribe. But I think to the the point that your dad made is reach out to the decision maker okay. because sometimes the h r person is going to is going to be looking at more of checking off the boxes, whereas an executive will see potential and and be able to have a more lateral. Or a more vector conversation with the uh, person, and plus you're making a connection, you're building a relationship,
1: and it also shows drive. Like when I see somebody, when I've been on the other side of that, where people have shown up in my inbox on LinkedIn, I'm like, this person wants it, right? Like they're they're doing things to 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 achieve what they want, and they're they're trying different things. Um, So I actually think it shows a certain level of like drive and ambition, which especially in the Actually, no, I would say hands down, that's one of like the key things to look for in anyone you hire is someone who is going to work their ass off to, and, and want to work their ass off to do a good job, right? And so that kind of, to me, sets those people apart. But you actually said something interesting, which I'm going to double click on, is like, do follow the process that they ask for, because if you don't do that, that also just shows you can't follow instructions, or maybe you think you're too good and you don't, you don't go through the normal process, but do both follow the instructions, but know that that's not going to do shit and also go above and beyond and find other creative ways to kind of get at the decision maker. So I think that combo is
0: right. And, but there is a little bit of a spin or a caveat there is that apply the regular way, you know, uh, and because obviously the, you know, the audience that's going to, let's say filter that resume is going to be different from the person who's going to, you're going to be actually eventually working with or reporting to, Now, what are maybe one or two things to avoid when reaching out to that that Mm. that decision maker, that executive? You know, you want to, for example, I'll give you like a sort of a starting point. And of course, all is don't don't be salesy. Yeah. Focus on building an honest connection and relationship with that person to see, versus just saying, "Hey, I saw this job. I want to." I don't know. What's your sort of take on? Do you have any other? Or are, are there any examples where somebody reached out to and you were like, oh, that was cool.
1: I would say um, the first thing that comes to mind is like make it easy for that person to take action on what you want them to do. So like attach your resume, maybe like pull out one one liner of why you're the right person for the job, even just being vulnerable and explaining why you're reaching out to them. Like, I think that goes a long way. Like, hey, I'm, I'm really excited about this job. I did, I did apply and I submitted my resume, but, um, I'm sure you're getting a lot of these. So I'm really just trying to do whatever I can to, to get noticed. Um, here's my resume, see attached, whatever. Um, would love if, if you think I'm a good fit, would love to for you to forward it along or whatever it is. Right. I think what a lot of people do is they try to get time with the decision maker and like, Hey, can I have an informational interview or whatever? Um, and I mean, fine, but you're just making it difficult. Um, because typically those people will be very busy. Um, and I actually think that informational interviews, that's like a whole other thing, but if you're just trying to get noticed for a job, just make their life really easy give them everything they need to know about you and make it easy for them to action. And
0: I love what you just said. One is make it easy for that person. Mm -hmm. Think of what their day looks like. And they probably are getting, you know, bombarded with other people maybe who might be reaching out to them now because it's so much more easier to do it on LinkedIn. I don't know how you did it back then, Mm -hmm. Uh, but also having empathy for that person. And then two, don't go in for an ask right away in terms of what you said is don't have them. Don't try to get an overcommitment of, can I get you on a call? Make it easy for them. Give them the information that they might need, having cognitive empathy for them, but also make it easy for them to decline. So you're sort of going in with like super passionate, strong opinion, but held loosely when you don't have that, you know, I need this you're not coming off as needy and salesy.
1: Yeah. It's almost like you're just leaving it in their court, right? There's no action required from that person beyond forwarding it. If they feel like they want to, but if not, it's like, Hey, thanks for your time. Like, thanks for just looking at this. Right.
0: Exactly. Exactly. I love, I, yeah, make it easy for them and don't ask for a commitment right away. Leave that in their court. I love that. Okay. Fantastic. So, so you and 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 all thanks to your dad, he sort of gave you that idea. I'm so glad that you gave a shout out to your from dad, Jordan
1: Belfort. Also,
0: <laughs> fantastic. That's the whole part is you pass on the knowledge. <laughs> yeah, that's what makes humans great. You know, we pass because humans are the only you know beings, and maybe this is you know this from biology. When when we're born, we're empty vessel. Whereas, like a giraffe is born, it knows right away what to go eat, and you know they in the in the animal kingdom, you know the baby is born and they know what to do. Whereas you know us mm-hmm. for a couple of years we're just we need like we can't even yeah, like true. our head will like you know pop right. off yeah. uh, so such delicate creatures anyways okay so you're at well.ca mm-hmm. and you started and so what are you doing there and what role did you ask for and what did you start doing and tell yeah. us about your
1: well.ca days yeah i just started as like a marketing coordinator so literally did anything they told me to, uh, it was a really cool experience. It was a small company. Uh, I still, again, to this day advise people to start in small companies if they can, because I think you just accelerate your experience, the exposure you get to people and projects, uh, compared to working for like a massive corporation where like you're given your laneway and that is it. You better not step out of that. And like, you won't have the opportunity to stand out, like step out of that for another year or two, you know, it's very slow growth, um, in my opinion and in my experience. So yeah, I just did a little bit of everything. Um, I think what I did gravitate to was more of the email marketing side of an e-commerce, um, business and eventually like went on to kind of specialize in that space a little bit. Um, but I just really did it all.
0: So one second. So I think there's a couple of things here for the audience. listening. thing, what did well.ca do actually? Oh what, yeah. What, what business were they in?
1: Yeah. So they're an online retailer, um, for just like wellness products. So across a variety of categories, it could be food like home cleaning, uh, beauty, personal care. They have some pet stuff. Um, they just sell a little bit of everything. Their kind of unique spin was they're Canadian and a lot of their stuff is organic, natural, um, green, whatever you want to call it. And it was kind of before the whole boom of like all of these. That's just kind of what people, it's so common now, right? To look for those types of products. You kind of had to go to somewhere like well.ca to find those things. Um, and they they basically, their whole thing was there's a bunch of these products and brands out there who are trying to create cleaner alternatives. Let's bring them all into one place. So you can easily find those things. And so that's what they were building.
0: I think you should talk a little bit more about this if you can, especially for people or you know, who are coming out of college, university and trying to find their first job. One is how do you, you know, get that job, which we just talked about. Mm-hmm. The other aspect of it is what kind of company, scale and size you should join because mm-hmm. it gives you more responsibility. Yeah. And do you want to talk a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah. I think for me it's it's joining a a startup. Like sub, sub 50 employees, sub a hundred employees, I would say. Um, because you just, it's so fast paced and it's so experimental and, uh, there's no like red tape. There's, you're creating the processes as you go. Uh, so you just learn, a lot faster. I've worked for both startups and I've worked for companies like Bell. Right. And it's a totally, I didn't last long at Bell. It was just not a good fit, but it's like a totally different environment. Um, and so I think as someone earlier in their career who are, who are looking to just like soak up as much information as possible, I would definitely recommend that route. Um, and then also the people, I think like building a network and, um, and relationships with people is honestly one of the things that I think attributed to to my success in my career And I think it just helps you do that because there's less hierarchical like layers, right? I was sitting, I remember when I was working at, um, well, at CA, I was sitting right next to our CMO and she was chief marketing officer and merchandising officer at age like what, 22? Like you don't, you can't do that in Bell or at some of these other corporations, right? And so if you start to make relationships with those people who have influence in the space, maybe they see something in you as like a, as a, a new, um, like in, someone earlier in their career, like those relationships can actually take you quite far. So I think that that's an important thing to think about, too, when you're first getting started.
0: So you're you have cognitive empathy for the leader that you're going to work with and you uh, you start a conversation with them. You get the job in the company and and I believe you start small and I I'm also from a similar bent of mine that the smaller companies start with, the more roles and responsibilities you're going to have. And early on, you're going to have this generalist sort of worldview where you understand how each person works and you can start you can start relating to the people who are doing, let's say, media buying. Yeah. You can start relating to the business people, the sales people, the marketing people, and how they all sort of function together as a whole. Um, so in that period, when you were at world.c and you're sort of dabbling in all these different things and it's like this really fast-paced environment that you were talking about, are there any interesting learnings observations or uh projects that you worked on that sort of had a click in your mind you're like wait my worldview before this point was this way but now all of a sudden you know i i see the world this way uh, oh, got it
1: um i would say like two things this kind of touches on your other point too um working for a smaller company and getting exposure to all of those things like no no one knows what the heck they want to do when they come out of university, right? Like, so even just getting exposure to all of those things versus being like, here's your only job. um, I also think that that just helps you kind of hone in on like your own path, uh, which is really cool. So I think that that's actually one thing I took away from from well.ca was I just... I always did this in my career where I just like volunteered myself to do all the things, right? Like if I saw an opportunity or like, hey, I'm interested in this or I'm interested in that, I would always find a way to partner with that person or collaborate because- I just wanted to learn about it. So that is really, really cool. Um, and I think that that's what happened at well.ca is I worked on so many different things cause I was like a marketing generalist. I did it all. Um, that I really found myself like narrowing in on like geeking out hard on email marketing. And maybe this is where my science background comes in because marketing in general is very like, it's a lot of experiments, right? Like you're trying to do different things creatively and see how it influences people's behavior. But with email, it was really cool because you can literally A-B test the shit out of everything and get instant feedback. It's not like um, testing two different radio commercials and you have to run them for whatever and and have all these loose feedback signals, right? Like you can literally test so many different things against each other in in email as a channel and like learn and influence people's behavior like immediately. And I thought that was so cool. So that's probably the only piece that I took from my biology degree is like running these little experiments. At least in my head, I felt like a little scientist in my lab, pouring things into beakers. But um, yeah, and then I I kind of followed that, like that interest. Um, And then my next job I took, like I was just that I was an email marketing specialist and kind of built that part of my career a little bit. Um, But being able to just follow your interests is really cool.
0: I love that is that you had and this is you're right, like uh, your bio, your Time spent in science, uh, bringing some of that scientific approach to even this work and testing. Mm-hmm. And you're almost like a scientist testing out your hypothesis mm-hmm. of saying, okay, is this going to work? A B testing, as you said. Are there any other things that you might have been exposed to in science and biology and, in your school days and some of the early that helped and influenced the way you approached, let's say, email marketing?
1: Yeah. I did a minor in psychology. So I think that was a big thing. Um, and I think that, that plays out a lot in marketing, right? Like that's literally what marketing is. <laughs> so I think that, um, I didn't know it at the time. Again, I was doing it cause I thought it might help me be a better doctor. Um, but it actually kind of manifests itself in a totally different way. Um, when it comes to influencing people's behavior. So that was, and I'm still like that today. Like even today, I'm a very, almost to the point where I need to chill out about, on it is like, I'm very experimental. I'm always running tests. Right. Like I'm always trying this versus this, which performed better and always kind of like honing in on what's working and what's not. Almost to a detriment to the point where I wish I didn't look at that stuff as much and just kind of focused on like what I wanted to do and what made me feel good and not, not really put so much weight into how other people react to things. Um, but I think it's just something that's ingrained in me. It's just what I how I operate.
0: And this is probably like a sort of off tangents, but still connected to what we're talking about question. When you started working for well.tN this is your first job, correct? Mm-hmm. At this point, I'm just making an assumption here, and and I would love for you to talk about this. Is, Is this probably the first time your height was not a factor in what you were doing and what your identity was?
1: Maybe, but I actually think my height has helped me a lot in my, I'm going to call it my corporate career. Because I think... Because I I carry myself confidently as a tall woman, woman, I think people automatically uh, respect me. They also thought I was a lot older to this day. People think I'm a lot older than I actually am. So when I'm 22, 23, that's helpful. When I'm dealing with brands and stuff like that, they don't know I'm fresh out of school, right? Um, And so I think it actually helped me with getting other people to respect me and take me a little bit more seriously than I might have otherwise been being younger or maybe shorter, right? So uh, it's interesting. Like I didn't realize it in the moment, but now looking back, I actually think that that thread has kind of continued throughout my whole life. And I've, instead of looking at my height as a disadvantage, I've always tried to find ways to work in my favor.
0: When you join like the corporate world or when you start working for a company, then your identity is no longer what you look like
1: mm-hmm.
0: because you're running email marketing. Yeah. You're cu- the, the customers don't know what you look like yeah. and your colleagues care about the results the yeah. business outcomes right yeah. um, so I was just curious like how much that but I think the some of the story that you talked about in terms of you know when you were growing up and how your parents encouraged you to stand tall I think it was just the person that you had become by then so it's not about the height but it was just the how you felt comfortable in your yeah. skin and it's no longer about the height and being tall mm-hmm. but it's just how you sort of showed up broad shoulders and all that stuff that yeah. you were talking about yeah right Okay, so that so then you're you're in email marketing and you found that to be fascinating and that's that's probably your first passion, yeah.
1: Because you, that,
0: so I, <laughs> <So> because I <nerdy>. because <laughs> <laughs> because when I see like let's say your LinkedIn profile, like email marketing is like almost like a central yeah. pillar. It's like
1: my, it was like my bread and butter for a really long time.
0: Right, and so how did that experience of you know getting into email marketing change over the different companies that you work for? So, for example, you went to fresh books
1: mm-hmm.
0: um do you want to talk a little bit about what yeah. how was different at fresh books
1: yeah i actually like it was i was very calculated about it to be honest like i when i realized i enjoyed email marketing a lot and like not only did i like it but email is so powerful for any business model like every business uses email marketing in some capacity and it is ex- one of the most powerful marketing channels so it actually worked very well. <laughs> I'm glad that it worked out that way. But I knew I wanted to specialize in it. And while well, that say it was a smaller company at the time, they didn't have the best tools, the best resources, etc. So I went to a bigger company um, who had a, had were hiring people solely just to do email. And I knew that I would be able to like specialize and really hone in there. Um, so that is specifically why I went to FreshBooks. Um, and it all played out as I expected, which was awesome. Um, and then I kind of just kept rolling with it to be honest. So like even after fresh books, um, my next job, where did I go after that? Oh, the source and and bell. Um, so again, I oversaw the email marketing program there and I, I just kept going up in seniority and like working for larger companies with larger budgets and it just, it kind of, while it was still email marketing, it got more sophisticated and more intense, I would say. Um, up until I, I base, I got to envision where I was director of email marketing there. But the cool thing at this point in time was email. Wasn't the only channel you were using to talk to your customers anymore. There was push notifications. There was in-app messaging. If you're using like a SaaS product, there's SMS in the e-commerce space and they all need to work together. So this was actually a really good example of a time when I was like, Hey, I know email marketing really well. These other things are also happening to our customers. None of it's coordinated. Let me figure out how to bring it all together. And so that was, again, Another thing I did was just raise my hand to figure that out. And that's actually how I started to branch out beyond email because I did get to a point in my career where I was like, okay, I don't want to just do email. So that was what I used to kind of branch out and just kind of own all customer communications in general. Um, So that was, yeah, that's how it all kind of played out.
0: Let's double click into some of this stuff and expand on some of the things that you just said. Uh, One thing that's very evident and sort of in your story arc is that you went from somebody who was doing something very tactful email marketing a b testing yeah and you you came into this executive and leadership position right
2: yeah
0: so like and i'm so glad that you touched on this very um at the at the tail end of what you were saying is that you were starting to look at the the user journey and say where's this broken this is not just Email, but where else can we make an intervention in a meaningful way? So, now for the people listening who might be doing some other thing, you know, analytics, email marketing, whatever the social media marketing, whatever they're doing, Mm -hmm. do you have a sense of what are the things that you were doing differently from a tactical level, relationship building that you had sort of uh, done during early in your uh, days? And strategically what were some of the things that you were doing that was helping you climb that ladder really fast
1: yeah that's such a good question i've thought about this a lot recently um a few things okay so i think relationship building is hands down what i believe to be the most important thing you can do to accelerate your career growth um you have a choice you can sit in a corner and do your job and not talk to anybody or only talk to like your direct stakeholders or you can find opportunities to collaborate. It could be literally something as, as simple as, let's say I'm an email marketer and I'm really interested in our content team. Hey, like just asking the director of content marketing, Hey, can I, I just want to learn about your job. Like, I think your job's really cool. And then you start to build that relationship, right. And everything works together. So I think the more you start to kind of expand out of your own little bubble, um, and start forming relationships with people across the organization, you start to almost like make a bit of a name for yourself. Um, and people think about you when they have to go partner with marketing. So if I'm, if I'm, forming a relationship with somebody in product, for example, and they got to do something with marketing, They're like, oh, I know Nicole in marketing, let me go to her. Right. And so I think that that's so important and something that you should start doing from day one. Um, and not to feel shy about that because a lot of times, like people like to talk about themselves, right? So like, if you go and ask someone, Hey, can I get 30 minutes of your time on our company's budget? Like it's, we're getting paid to be here at work. Like let's just jam. They're gonna be like, hell yeah. And they'll just talk about themselves three minutes. Right. And so you've established that relationship you're learning as well. And then you also start to come up with ways of like, Oh, that's what they do. Okay. I imagine if we partner in this way, like we could actually help each other. And so relationship building is huge. Um, the other thing I think that worked very well for me is not waiting for people to come to you with opportunities. So an example that I just gave is like, yes, I was doing email marketing, but no one was owning all the other touch points the customer was getting. It was so sporadic. It was all over the place. And so I literally remember I built a business case of why I should be the person to create the lifecycle marketing team at Envision. And this at, this was at a time when lifecycle marketing wasn't really a thing like no one, it's like quite the buzzword now, but it wasn't really a thing. But I was like, someone needs to be thinking about this because maybe this is where my psychology was coming in. But I'm like, we look insane to our customers right now because we're sending them all this different, all these different messages. So there was many times in my career where I put a case together as to why something wasn't being done well or wasn't being thought of at all. And if I basically asking for permission to like take it under my umbrella and loop it into things I was already doing and what impact I believe that would have on the business. So that's one thing I think that actually helped me accelerate my career is I just kept like raising my hand being like, I want to do that. I can do that. I can do that instead of waiting for my like yearly review with my manager and see if they came to me with those types of opportunities, which they probably wouldn't have even had time to think of or notice that that was an opportunity in the first place because they're busy doing other things. So that those are two, I would say two big things that for anyone listening who's looking to accelerate their career, like do those two things and you'll be solid.
0: Actually, uh, to be honest, you actually said a couple of things and they're all, uh, they all have their own sort of uh, bucket. But firstly, I, I so impressed. Uh, And I'm not just saying this because we're talking, but I love that you were proactive and you built the business case and you said, wait, you know there is more to this, and I want the responsibility. I want to take this on, and um, and by building conversations and relationships, you are able to connect the dots in terms in terms of what is dysfunctional internally, because the customer doesn't care what the company looks like internally. Yeah, they just care about what they care about. Yeah, and so if they're getting this sort of broken record messaging, and s- somebody on the inside is taking the initiative to sort of make that a beautiful experience. I, I wonder how much this is connected to how your dad, you know, was experimenting with different things and, and how much your childhood played a role in this sort of the way you approach the work is because on one end, I'm seeing that you're super passionate about this and you're like, I want to take more responsibility because that's what you do. Right. Yeah versus when you were in biology and you were like, I don't want to do this at all Mm -hmm. versus what you saw when you were as a kid, how you got exposed to how your dad did the work and he did a lot of experiments and he was okay with failing. I don't know how all these three sort of Venn diagram circles sort of play into this relationship building, connecting the dots, being proactive, building the business case and really caring about the customer.
1: Yeah. I would say like um, one thing that comes to mind is, Maybe it's the sales thing again, but it's like you do kind of have to sell yourself, right? Like you're pitching your manager in my case, it was always my managers. I'm pitching them something. I'm selling them an idea of something, right, and so um I think definitely there's some some overlap there, um but I also just think like being a like just being human too <laughs> goes a long way just being uh down to earth and and just being. Real and that's what I would try to do, right? Is I would go to these people and say, Hey, I really want to do this, or I really want to do this, and then see if they were down.
0: Or let me reframe the question. Mm-hmm. What are the things that people you see which is so glaring glaring and obvious to you are not doing and which is holding them back mm-hmm. in their career?
1: Okay. Yeah. Uh not creating opportunities and and, and instead waiting for opportunities is one big thing. And being shy and not forming connections. And that doesn't mean you need to go knock on the CEO's door and sit down and have a coffee with, like, that's scary for a lot of people. It could literally just be who is your peer, someone at your level, your age. If you're in marketing, who is that person on the data team? Who is that person on the product team, et cetera, et cetera. And just start there and start forming those like allies or whatever you want to call them. And then you'll eventually start to realize that um, maybe they introduce you to their manager because they think you guys could work on or whatever. It kind of just like domino effect from there. Um, But getting outside of your direct team and knowing that it's okay to do that. Those. Yeah, those are kind of two things, I think.
0: I love that that you, you almost have like this. There are no rules
1: there aren't any rules
0: exactly there the the walls are inside our brains and not yeah. on the outside so i love this which is you have like this entrepreneur mindset is create the opportunity don't mm. wait for yeah. per, for others to ask you step up and build that business case take on more responsibility now when i look at your sort of your resume or your linkedin profile it becomes so obvious how you climb so fast is because you're like i want to do more 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 okay. um so now as you're gro- going up in your career and you're doing all these things, you're being proactive, you're creating your own opportunities, you're building the connections. I would see you as an as a person who connects the dots and is an integrator of people mm-hmm. and and not only people, but the businesses and the customers and their experiences. At that role that you did at Bell Curve, where you became the VP, that was probably your first executive position? Yeah. Was there a big difference in what you were doing in the past to what you were doing here? Because cause that is like a big shift going from management to, to becoming an executive, what, what were the things that, that were happening then? And how did you even get that? How did you even get into that opportunity?
1: Yeah. Um. So I will say I didn't jump quite from like management, I guess, depending on how you, I just want to make sure it's clear to the, the listeners. I didn't go from like a marketing manager to a VP of marketing. That's not what happened. Um, but instead did the like director thing for a while, then senior director thing for a while. And then nvp but um sorry what was your question how was how different was it yeah uh very different <laughs> or
0: or actually let's start with you know because when you're like a director yeah you know and of course you know when you go from like junior to senior to manager yeah there's a big jump between senior to manager and then there's a jump between manager to director and then there's a big jump between and of course there's like these all these other yeah. middle positions there but But the one that goes from director to executive, that's a big leap because that completely changes everything. Not only your uh, responsibility, of course, responsibilities do increase, but as an executive, now you're in charge of future value versus present value and versus day to day versus looking ahead. Right. So there's a huge shift in mindset in the way you approach the business. I would love for you to sort of talk on that and how that
1: Mm -hmm.
0: was or how was your experience in sort of going through that uh, journey?
1: Yeah. I'm, I haven't actually reflected on this, so I'm going to do it (laughs) in real time. So yeah, it's coherent, but no, I think the biggest change for me, uh, is, yeah, it's less of the like, um, departmental strategy and it turns into like business like you. And and just to add some context here. So I was VP of growth for bell curve, which was a growth marketing agency. They were technically based out of, um, San Francisco, where all the founders were in San Francisco. All of our clients were from the Bay Area. Um, but it was remote. I was able to work here. So, um, they were growth agency. So I actually was my first time agency side too. So it was like a big, it was a big change and a lot of learning for me. Um, but I was building the, the agency right? I wasn't just building a team. I wasn't just building a marketing strategy. I was building the agency along the managing partners so my boss, um, because it was a new agency that was spun off from another business that they had. Um, and I was also now exploring this like client relationship, right. Uh, and helping them build their businesses as well. So it was a massive change for me. Um, and I think, but I actually loved it. Like I actually, think that i am such a big like idea person and like i'm a very like vision like i have all the i have a different idea every hour it feels like um and so that was the perfect role for me um and to be able to build a team and see how that all works uh because it kind of got me out of the like executional tactical campaign like that kind of stuff but i got to flex my idea muscle all the time working with clients as well as building bell curves so it was a big change but i think it lent itself nicely to to my strengths so it worked out
0: okay so there's a couple of really beautiful things one is because you had that experience of doing the thing and building the campaigns and you know doing the a b test because a lot of times what happens is that people who give the ideas or the advice don't have to live with the advice
1: Yeah, they've never been in. Yeah, and I think that that is such a huge differentiator between a good people leader and a friggin' terrible one. I was just talking about this the other day with somebody. Is that having that like feet on the ground experience? um, I think helped me become the people leader that I'm. I'm proud of today. Um, because i was able to empathize with people i was able to understand like what went into some of these things how long things take how painful some of these things are really manual or whatever um so yeah it was definitely something and this is
0: something that i am a big fan of and a big advocate of people who lead but know how to do the work Mm -hmm. right i hate i just can't i just find it like Furiating and, and and annoying when people say, I just want to lead people. It's like, but I and and when you ask them to do something, they can't even open PowerPoint. Yeah. Like there is a whole bunch of people in our system like that. But, anyways, so love it. So that you've gone from this like heavy practitioner who's connecting the dots. In this journey till you became VP, and I'm sure that there's the the emphasis would have been much larger in this executive position, but what role did Understanding the business side of things, knowing how the company makes money, Mm -hmm. how much did that play a role early versus... When you were an executive,
1: I was always the type of person who like if I wasn't the one managing the budget or if I wasn't in some of those meetings with all the like directors or VPs, um, I would ask my manager to be like, hey, I know this meeting you're going to where you're presenting our strategy or you're talking through the budget or whatever. I'm not in it, obviously, because I'm not senior enough, but like, can I get 30 minutes of your time after so you can debrief with me, like show me your presentation, tell me what you guys talked about. Uh, What questions did they have? So I actively did that with every job I had because I was so curious. And if I wasn't allowed to be in the room, I was fortunate to have managers who wanted to teach me that stuff. I even had one manager actually like hands down, if she listens to this, her name's Jen Marvel. She was like hands down the best manager and mentor I ever had. And she actually like, if I wasn't allowed to be in the meeting, she would give me parts of the deck that she would be presenting to just create. And she would put that on my plate, um, which is, pretty admirable. Now that I look back at that, because it's probably a lot faster for her to just do it herself. But she like gave me that opportunity. And not only that, but like in meetings, and I heard this from other people as well, but like, she would say, Hey, yeah, so this is an analysis that that Nicole actually did. So she actually gave me a seat at the table without me physically being at the table, which was really cool. And a really cool learning I got from her that I've tried to pass on. Um, but yeah, I think just like asking those, those questions and, um, Learning about the business, even if that's not supposed to be part of your job, I think that helped me get to the point of VP a lot faster because I was able to have that like business acumen and like make those decisions and understand how things all worked together sooner than maybe I would have otherwise if I didn't do that.
0: Right. I mean, okay. so three things. One is I I, it's so rare that people are curious, proactive and they will ask to get these meetings. Because we were like, it's not my job. I don't care, you know. And, and so there's a huge inflection point. It's like the butterfly effect. Each little conversation interaction is paving the path in your own sort of unique way and leading you down this sort of trajectory, right? Yeah. The other thing that you talked about was that the managers that you had early on, or even little things like Jordan Belfort or, you know, your dad saying, talk to the VP of marketing. That, I, I don't know how early on that started building that mental framework that you, you just shouldn't be afraid to reach out to someone and and build that connection because a lot of people are just sort of sort of timid. apprehensive, yeah. timid or afraid to ask or, or they feel like they're sort of breaking some sort of a rule.
1: There are no rules.
0: Exactly. Make your own
1: rules. And you're not, listen, you're not always going to have managers that give you the time of day. And I was fortunate that I did. Um, But that's okay. If it's not your manager, it'll be someone else, right? If it's not your direct manager, maybe it's someone else on the team that is more senior than you, but you don't technically report into or whatever it is, right? You have to get creative, but there are always people out there. I would say there are more people out there who just genuinely want to help and teach and again, talk about themselves and feel like a big wig. Like there are more people like that than people who won't give you the time of day, in my opinion.
0: As you've climbed the ladder, you've now become an executive. And you know how you said that there are certain things that you learn from other managers that you want to now pass on to your team and encourage that. So are there any specific lessons or skills, not skills or maybe behaviors that they, they act like, for example, one is that she's exposed you to the content, giving you a seat at the table, building your mental confidence. Yeah. Are there other things that have, you've experienced over your life, maybe the top two or three that now you're like, wait, I learned that. And now I'm actually doing the same for, you know, my team.
1: Totally. Um, yeah, so I definitely think that, so, um, if there were opportunities where again, someone on my team couldn't be in the meeting, um, I would make sure that I would set like time aside to go through that with them. Um, and often like I would initiate that for them. Um, because I knew how beneficial it was to me. Right. And so um even if they didn't ask for it, I gen I, I typically did it with the the people on my team who I saw something in, who who worked really hard and maybe they just didn't know to ask for that kind of thing. But I think it they probably received it as like, oh, this this person really cares about my uh, my career and my growth and and all that, right? So that is something I, I learned from Jen that I I do myself. Um I think transparency is always a big one for me. Um, Again, something I admired from Jen um, was that she was very honest, like to the point where you were like, are you supposed to be telling me this? Like you're telling me a lot, not anything that would be harmful in any way, but like, it was just the first like manager relationship where she actually like treated me like an adult and like I could handle it. And She would be super honest with me about areas where she was feeling maybe incompetent in the moment or whatever. So she was very vulnerable and transparent with me. And that like built a really strong and trusting relationship between the two of us. So I try to do that as well. Again, like you can only go so far with it. Like I'm not going to tell people on my team that all a bunch of people are getting laid off like that kind of stuff is confidential you can't share that but um i think some people in management roles try to like put on like mm, i'm powerful let me like hoard all this information because it makes me more powerful but i think that that's stupid so that would be another thing i would say is try to share as much as i could um to build that trust um and then one this is like super tactical but it definitely stands out so one of the managers i had at fresh books aaron smith she um she picked apart my PowerPoint presentations like no other. And it annoyed the shit out of me in the moment. Like she would book meetings with me and be like, all right, come on. And she would whiteboard out like how to tell the story and like how to like break apart a slide with a million things on it into something a little bit more digestible. And in the moment I was like, oh my gosh, this is so annoying. I have to redo all of this. But now that I look back on it, like I can I can create a pretty kick-ass slide deck now. And if it wasn't for her walking me through that, I don't think like that was actually that's like such a powerful skill to have, especially as you get more senior, because all you do is build business cases and tell stories and try to get buy in. So I'm actually glad she did that. And so I am now probably that annoying person. Or I was that annoying person to people on my team as well. Um, so, yeah,
0: that's beautiful. So you ha- you've had a constant string of good managers and yeah. mentors who built that skill, who encouraged you to step more into the field. And I think the a, a, another point that you added at at the tail end of this was you know executives and typically do do the work and decision making in meetings whereas creatives and the production happens outside where they can be in a flow state. Yeah. So those the, uh, so those uh, are very different contexts and environments. Um and with you being a practitioner who's was mostly in that flow state doing, you know, spending time, you know, looking at email marketing, writing those emails to now doing a lot of the decision-making in those meetings. How, how did your day-to-day change and how did, and how was that experience for you at the beginning? Did you find that to be helpful? Because what happens is that, you know, when you go from like being in that flow state all the time, doing really cool work and that's what you're known for Mm -hmm. to now just being like back-to-back meetings, you're like, Oh God, another meeting. Yeah. How was that uh, or did you take that well or is that something you look forward to? I
1: actually like I remember this like specifically it was like a thing that I had to learn because I was so used to producing tangible things that I could hit send on and get re- reporting on right all this stuff to like I so often I'd be like wait what am I what am I doing? Like, am I working hard enough? Am I doing enough? Because it, it changes, right? The type of work you're doing totally changes. Um, and it's more like longer term strategic thinking and like building out these PowerPoint slides and telling stories and talking about it over a million and one meetings, uh, versus the more tactical stuff. So I actually had like a bit of like, um, self worth issue at one point thinking I like, wasn't good at my job anymore because I wasn't producing as much as I used to. Um, but I remember that very, like I very clearly that transition. And again, it's something I now try to coach people on my teams through because they're like, Oh, well I'm not doing as much or I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm like, no, but like this, this is the moment when you, you go from being like an IC to like a, a manager, right. And like a people leader. So. Right. It's a little uncomfortable at first, but.
0: Right. Yes. I think you touched on a really good point is that because when you're stepping into this new thing, where, how, where till this point you were, seen as a valuable asset because being, because of being an IC. Yeah. But now because you're in charge of strategy and future vision and really getting and empowering and enabling your team to get there. Yeah. You're just doing thinking and meetings and getting decisions made. And, There is that level of imposter syndrome. You're like, wait, what is happening here?
1: Because you don't track that. You aren't like, today I made this decision and this decision. And by the end of the day, I made seven decisions. You don't track that. But when you're like creating ads or sending emails, you're like, oh yeah, in the month of May, I sent this many emails and generated this much revenue. But you don't do like, you aren't like, oh, I made seven decisions and those generated like there's no connection. So you just kind of feel like you aren't doing anything (laughs) when I think about it. Yeah.
0: So okay so we're talking about uh, your role at Bell Curve where you're the VP and you're sort of building out the agency and now you're sort of uh, more focused on strategic vision, decision making and that maybe affects how that affects like long-term top line and all yeah. that stuff the business side of things and, and enabling and empowering the teams is there anything about your experience of going from IC to this executive position and now being in that executive position that you wish you know Maybe leadership should be done differently. And I'll give you an example to sort of give you some sort of a context. One thing, and this is specific, more specific to like creative people, Mm -hmm. is as they go up the ladder, they're taken away from what they're really good at and what they're passionate about. Mm -hmm. Is let's say somebody's a really good writer. They're just going to end up managing people and doing planning and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Whereas a creative art person will, again, be leading art directors, creative directors, but they won't be doing any physical work themselves. So it's like they trained their whole life to become really good at something and now they no longer have to do that and they have to now teach other people to do it. Also, part two of that is not all great ICs are good managers because there's a difference between managing the work and leading the people, yeah. right? Um. So are there things that you've experienced in your side of things that you feel that should be done differently or this is your perspective on how leadership should be done? two is should you still be close to the work any thoughts that come to mind
1: um a few i don't know if they're productive or not but <laughs> i think for me because i'm such an idea person and i like i like playing the like game of chess that is business and managing teams and people and stakeholders the more senior i got i actually felt better in my role like i felt like okay this is what i'm supposed to be doing Like right now, the thought of going in and sending an email, I'm like, like, it, it just, the execution of it stresses me out. I'm not good at it. Um, and so that's, I've learned that about myself though. And even now with my own businesses, it's like, I need to have people around me that can like support me in those areas to keep moving forward. Um, so for me, it worked well. Um, I think, so I don't know. I don't know. Like if you're one of those people who like to create and you like to produce the work and you find you're getting further and further away from it. um, I actually don't know the answer to that. Like it worked for me. um, But I wonder if there's ways um, where if, if it's at work or outside of work or there are other ways that you can scratch that itch, right? Like maybe you siphon off a small little amount of the actual production work that you do, or um, maybe you, enjoy just like setting up more like creative discussion and critique meetings and stuff like that where you can kind of get in the weeds a little bit but offer your expertise instead of the actual work itself um or maybe you got to scratch that itch itch like outside of work
0: there are some uh very few actually examples of this and i can speak to let's say um there's this digital company called work and co and there's this company brand agency called pentagram and those are the Two that that the only two that actually I know have this inverse pyramid where the senior most people are doing the work, and and they don't hire junior people at all. And so what they do is instead of having one senior person overseeing four projects, what they do is one project at a time and 100% dedicated to that project. And there's no presentations, there's no PowerPoints. They're literally sitting with the client and just walking them through. Okay, this is what we're making, and they can see the screen. And they sort of approach it in that way, and they're very. And they deliberately decided they don't want to be a big agency. They just they decided that we want to be a small agency. I think they're like eight nine hundred people, like a mid sized agency that would be. Yeah, and it's a deliberate effort that it's coming out of that pain point that you know as you go up the ladder, you want to continue doing the work because you get so much better at it.
1: But is that the difference? Do you think that that's maybe the difference of people who don't end up making good people managers because they want to do more of the work? What would you say?
0: So in that, so, so yes, there, th- that's a good point. But in, in that specific model, in the work in co-model, which I've been following very closely and I'm big fan of their work and how they approach it, culturally leadership wise, they have all the things that you would want. Mm-hmm. They encourage, but the thing is they, they don't get stuck in like overthinking processes and charts and design thinking. They're actually opposed to all that. They're like, just do the work, do prototyping. Yeah. They have like this saying, prototyping over presentations. Got it. And so they have like this very, you know, pull up, roll up your sleeves, get into the ditches. Yeah. uh, You know, elbow grease kind of mentality. So it's senior people. And what they pride themselves on is the lowest attrition rate. Interesting. Like once people join there, like they're really careful on who they bring in. And people just don't leave.
1: That's really cool
0: and uh and and they play they have they have like a heavy emphasis on dei as well Mm -hmm. bringing in diversity a lot of women partners and so they have like top heavy firm and and it's smaller teams one project at a time versus one senior person overseeing a couple of projects of course choose what you like yeah there's no one better i'm just more leaning on you know stay close to your craft
1: yeah and i think that that's the thing right like if if that's what you want that's the type of organization you should like find more of those and gravitate towards those or if you're more like like me for example where i don't want to stay close to my craft strategically yes and i want i actually find it more rewarding passing on the skills and teaching others how to do it um so i think it's that it's cool that there's like those two different models and you can kind of just go wherever the wind
0: blows. yeah by the way to be honest like there's not i like i could count on one hand, the kind of companies that exist in that format, number one. I haven't heard of it Number two, even like like, enterprises like Adobe have like, you can climb up the ladder as an individual contributor. Yeah. Because, and I don't want to go too far off into this, but like one quick point is that the incentive structure that we design around our org influences certain behaviors. So now if somebody is a great individual contributor and they're making, let's say, 100K, and they want to get a promotion. The only way they can do that is by managing, managing people. people. Now, even though they might suck at managing people or they don't want to manage people, the incentive structure of how that org is set up is yeah. going to influence their behavior to want to do that and start talking, you know? Yeah. So you have to be very careful of how the organization is designed, what's the incentive structure, And because that's going to influence the behavior. So instead of telling people to change the behavior, you should. it's important to sort of look at how are people being incentivized and what's behind the behavior that you're seeing anyway. So I don't want to go too far been
1: some changes on that front though. Like I've already been hearing that happening in organizations where I think that that realization has, has happened. And so they're trying to come up with carving out more deeper career paths for ICs. I think that's great.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, okay. So now you've sort of d- done this s- leadership role where you, are now actually really tapping into those ideas and those ideas are what basically pay your salary yeah. is having that vision. And of course the vision and ideas that you put forward translate over time into, you know, top line yeah. and what that might look in bottom line and all that stuff. So now what made you get out of that and finally decide, and we're coming back full circle now, mm-hmm. Now we have like a full story arc of who is Nicole, where's she coming from, what influenced her de- decision making, yeah. who are her mentors, Jordan Belfort, dad, I know. to some of the uh, she was she's
1: you know. still tall, she's tall throughout the whole thing, <laughs> yeah. We have the whole yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: So it's so it's mentally tall and physically tall. Totally. Um. So yeah. So now we've sort of come back full circle to where we started this conversation, where you have now started off your own business yeah. so let's talk a little bit about that and mm-hmm. and then we'll also talk a little bit about your coaching side of things sure. um so and, and and the reason i want to i'll give you one place to start i come across a lot of and this is just purely anecdotal and, and also just for personal experiences but also stuff that i read online that you know guys even if they don't have the answers they'll just be like yeah i'll give it a shot mm-hmm. whereas women will overthink it yeah and maybe I'm just like giving like a massive stereotype here and that's what as a starting point what happens and what where should you start and what happened in your case
1: like when I left bell curve
0: what made you leave and think about or actually wait at the time when you were leaving bell yeah did you know that you were going to start your own thing or at that time you just were like I, what was happening at that point
1: yeah actually a lot <laughs> um So I actually left. I was super burnt out, like super burnt out. Um, And so I left in June of last year. It's been about a year. Um, But the March before that, one of my really good friends committed suicide. And I never lost anybody, let alone a good friend or someone, lose someone in that way. Um, And it like shook me (laughs) in a way that like I, I didn't even... I couldn't even like comprehend. And I think just, um, naturally I just kept pushing. I was like, I can do this. Like, I've just tried to be strong. Right. And just keep going, keep going, keep going. Um, but then I kind of just like broke, to be honest. I like, (laughs) I went away for a weekend with my three best girlfriends since high school and dabbled in some magic mushrooms for the weekend. Um, And I actually think those things are incredible because I had an experience that just like it's kind of like the way I describe it is um, when you when it's like a rainy day, like it's a storm and then, you know, when the clouds start to break and the sun comes out and everything's still kind of wet, still a little dark, but it's like sunny. That's literally what I felt like happened in my brain. So we didn't do a ton of mushrooms. Like I wasn't crazy hallucinating anything like that, but we were just like microdosing for, throughout the day, right? And the amount of clarity that came to me in that moment. Um, so I think it was a combination of, of losing Lee and then being with people I was super comfortable with and, and um, trying out the whole psychedelic thing. And I just had this clarity of like, what the fuck am I doing? the fuck am I doing like I literally was like climbing this corporate ladder it was great I learned a lot it was super rewarding but I got to this point where I thought that was like my life goal is to be a marketing executive and I kind of was there I was making more money than I ever thought I would make I was VP a lot younger than I ever thought that would happen and I was still kind of like you know like this is it so I literally went home after that weekend and I resigned because I was emotionally done. And I was like, just, I I knew I could not be the VP that, that Ian, my, my boss wanted me to be for that stage of the company. And I knew it was just not what I wanted anymore. And so I, I just, I resigned. I, I gave a month and I just said, I got to go. Like, and so I took three months off because I was like, it was the first time in my life where I didn't have everything planned out. Like I didn't have the next job. I didn't have, it wasn't a. It wasn't a level up. It was like a literally, I don't know, but it's not this. Like it's not this. And so I just took three months to slow down. I enjoyed the summer. It was like one of the first summers out of COVID basically. So I kind of just enjoyed that. And I think giving myself that space and that clarity is like when some of the other stuff started to form to where right. I am now. So. Right. so it was a lot. There was a lot that a lot. went into that decision. <laughs> yeah. Wow! It wasn't like, oh, I have a perfectly good business plan, and I'm going to go start this business. It was way different than that. Um, but yeah.
0: Wow i I'm just blown away. Um, <laughs> so, so you left. So, so first your friend passed away, and you were very close to this friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then after that, you went on this. You did microdosing, and mm-hmm. you got the sunrays, and the and all that mm-hmm. happened. Um. And from there you had a moment of like, you had an epiphany. Mm -hmm. Um, And you've, I think, I don't know if this is sort of you, a lot of people through the pandemic began to ask themselves, what am I doing with my life?
2: Yeah.
0: Um, And, you know, some people obviously, some people went into depression. Some people found, made the best of it. A few, a handful few, you. And, and in this period for you, of course, it was not the pandemic, but this other thing that triggered this. Yeah. My question is: Do you think that you would have had this epiphany, you would have gone down this path, had this incident not happened, or were you? What was hap- like? Or were you actually burned out, and you were on the virtually? But this triggered that for you.
1: I don't think it would have happened because I think um, it put a lot into perspective. Like my friend um, was one of those people who just, and I feel like this always happens. It's like. The people who commit suicide are like you would never expect it from them, do you know what I mean and they're like the ones who like light up every room they walk into they're like so just amazing, so I think that that was a big like um eye opening experience to me of like wow, life is short right, and like what am I doing like what am what is meaningful to me and like, what is purposeful to me and climbing the corporate ladder just wasn't, you know, um, there were things that were though, like, I think, um, in that job, I got to work with a ton of founders and I got to watch them and help them grow their business. And, um, I was surrounded by entrepreneurship from my dad growing up. And so there were certain things that, um, I did love like leading people and like coaching people and whatever. So I think I took those experiences, but I'm just like, using them in a different way that's more meaningful to me than climbing the corporate ladder and just doing those as default part of my job. Right. Um, So I think that was the shift for me. I don't know that I would have noticed that, or I would have had that like catalyst to really evaluate, like what the hell am I doing on this planet? You know, like what am I here for? I probably just would have kept doing what I was doing. Right. Chugging away and like climbing. I think,
0: I think another thing that you just said, which was, beautiful and i would encourage other people to also sort of think about that is you know you can make plans yeah you know and like you said you know this is the first time you you didn't have a plan Two, you know life is very uncertain and anything can happen and life is fleeting as we sort of discussed Yeah. but it's the things that happen to you it's what's the meaning that you put on that thing what's the label that you put that changes how you know you move forward because you could if that's you treat that as a very negative, then you could go potentially depressive, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Versus how you sort of put good meaning on it, of course, with the help of some psychedelic mushrooms.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> um, is there anything you want to sort of expand on in some of those experiences and what happened there? or
1: Which part in particular?
0: In sort of the meaning that you put on mm. through all of this and how you interpreted the whole thing.
1: Yeah, I think um I don't know, there was a lot that went into it. I think like I felt a lot of shame around leaving. I was only at curve for 6 months. I've never been at a company for that little of time, especially in that like level of role that I was in. Um so I felt so bad. Like I felt like I was letting them down and and there was a lot of that. Um and I think historically I wouldn't have done it because I didn't want to let people down, right? So it's like all the people-pleasing shit comes in. Um And then you get kind of further and further away when you do that from what you really want to be doing. So, um, I think there was a lot, um, that went into it that didn't feel kind of great in the moment, but, um, I do now again, looking back on it, and I guess this was happening a little bit in, in the moment as well, but I think it was like the first time that I just like removed any sense of like titles or salaries or accomplishments or achievements to like define who I was and like really take time to just figure that out for myself. Um, I do, I will say because I had such an accelerated career, I, I had, I did get used to, um, people commending me for that and always like having something to say about it. So it it gets a bit addictive. I'm not going to lie. Right. Like, um, but I think it was just the first time in my life where I'm like, I don't give a shit about that stuff anymore. I don't care. Um, And yeah, I just like, I'm proud of myself now looking back, like for taking and prioritizing myself basically, and not climbing, continuing to climb the ladder because that's what I'm supposed to do or, um, not leaving because I don't want to let these people down. Right. Like just, yeah, just leaning into like what I needed in that moment, I think was now looking back.
0: really Okay. So we should expand a little bit more on that. Um, a beautiful uh journey i mean you know how because one aspect of what you're saying is that you know because you climb so fast and you were going at it full throttle and you're fully into it you didn't get a chance to sit back and look at the big picture and i think from what you're describing i'm assuming this was your moment where you when that sunlight came through the clouds yeah uh is where you saw the big started to see the big picture and you're like I'm okay with just being who I am, period. I don't need these, like you said, I don't need these titles. I don't need this package salary. I don't need any of this stuff. I'm just comfortable with who I am and I need to define what is important to me and what is my vision and all that stuff. And yeah,
1: I genuinely, I genuinely felt like in that moment when the clouds cleared in my brain, I was like, holy shit, like for all, like all of my twenties, I was literally like, um, achieving for other people, whether it was my parents to make them proud or society because whatever, or my peer group, um, because I I wanted to like inspire people and climb the ladder as fast all that shit. It was for everybody. But me, I don't fucking care if I'm a VP or whatever, I don't care. Right. And so I think when that came, I was like, that's literally what I thought to myself. I'm like, wait, I don't, I don't actually care. So instead, but again, grateful though, that I like learned all of that and I made the net like connections that I did and built the network that I have. I'm just finding now that I'm, I'm, I'm tuning into more of like what's important to me and like putting those chess pieces together in such a way that feels good to me and not my LinkedIn profile.
0: So from that point where, and I know we're using the cloud parting and the sunlight yeah. coming as like that pivotal point of the story, the story arc. Plot twist um, <laughs> is so at that time. And like you said earlier at that time, you hadn't decided to be starting. You, you weren't leaving because you wanted to start your own thing. You were leaving because you were burnt out yeah. and because of, you know, your friend passing away.
1: I expected to go back. I literally, when I resigned, I told my manager, Hey, I just need three months. I'll be back. And,
0: then, and they were okay after you being working there for six months.
1: Yeah. They were super supportive. They were That's really really so supportive. Cool. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'll be back. And then I realized like, I, that's not what I want. Right. They actually helped me launch my like consulting career. They gave me my first client. Um, They were so supportive actually. Now thinking back, that's really cool of them, but like, yeah, they actually. Okay. So yeah, yeah,
0: we should, we should definitely. Okay. uh, Let's break this apart a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So, so now you come to terms with, you know, up till now you were living your life for others. And you've come to realize that life is fleeting and short and you need to now sort of live for yourself. And what is it that you want to do? Yeah. So now where do you go from there?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that started with. Um, I knew I wanted to go back to work. I like what I do. Like I like building businesses and and coming up with marketing strategies and helping companies grow like I liked what I was doing I just didn't like how I was doing it or who I was doing it for I guess is another thing um and so I just leaned into that a little bit and I literally remember like posting on LinkedIn probably after my like three month downtime I was like all right I'm kind of (laughs) bored like let me like get back into something uh and I just post on LinkedIn like hey I don't know what my services are, but like, I'm interested in trying out this consulting thing. I know how to do X, Y, and Z. I've worked for companies X, Y, and Z. If any of this sounds relevant or helpful to you, hit me up. Um, and that did really well. Like actually the founder of the the agency that I was at, he's super well connected in the whole YC ecosystem and all of that shared it, commented about how I was like one of the best people he's ever worked with all. And then that just blew up. Cause it like, I guess, cause he reacted to it. It went in front of his whole audience. And I think I had like 50 interview in, like meetings, discovery calls with 50 different startups and landed on, on Chopra, which again, Chopra. So Deepak's company went to bell curve to hire bell curve. And they were like, you know, the thing that you need is actually Nicole, like, and she's not here anymore. So they just gave them to me, which was really cool. Wow. So it was actually, yeah.
0: You know what the funny thing is? I remember that LinkedIn post. Do you? I do. Yeah. When you had posted, because I was like, wait, what? And because I remember at some point, Preet and I were, you know, throwback to people listening. Preet and uh, uh, Nicole and I are common friends. Mm -hmm. Um, So I remember seeing that post on LinkedIn. And, and, and I remember I had maybe had like a quick chat with Preet, we were just generally hanging out, whatever. And so I do remember that LinkedIn post and this one thing of him sharing the post just demonstrates how you you've sort of, that thread has always stayed true that you focus on connecting the dots, building the relationships, yeah. that transparency, all that stuff. And that can only happen if you have those relationships, yeah. right? Um, wow. That is really cool. Okay. So so at at the at the beginning, it was just an innocuous sort of LinkedIn post. And now all of a sudden you're inundated with these inbound leads.
1: Yeah.
0: Almost qualified leads.
1: Very qualified leads. They're all like high growth YC startups that want to work with me. And I was like, what is happening? This is really cool. Um, yeah. And it just I but again, I took the same approach of like. I think I interviewed them as much as they were interviewing me because I was like okay I'm doing this because I want to work on stuff that's meaningful and purposeful and so I I took that approach of like and again very fortunate to be in that situation um but I I was very deliberate in like who I decided to work with and I was willing to work up to 3 days a week I knew I wasn't ready to go back in like full grind burning myself out all over again um and so it just so happened that uh chopra was the company in that moment i resonated with the most and i just could really stand behind like what they were doing and i and it my skill set was exactly what they needed so it worked out um it just so happened that they needed somebody for that much of time so i just worked with them
0: i don't know how much you're aware of this you were doing this intuitively or there was some analytical because one is that till the time you did this agency role, which you did only for six months, you were always on the client side. Yeah. So you weren't, you didn't necessarily have like client facing interactions. Number one. Number two. So when you join an agency, you have a lot of client facing conversations and I, and and depending on sort of uh, how that org is set up is those early conversations that you're having, you know, with the client, you're trying to qualify the client to see if they're a good fit for you. Yeah. And if you are leading that conversation with questions, which you just said, I don't know if you were doing it analytically, intuitively, and you're trying to see, is this person a good fit for me? Yeah. That is what a trusted advisor does versus a vendor who's an order taker. Yeah. Who's like, okay, Says what yes. do you, yeah. so what do you want me to do? Okay, I'll do it done.
2: Yeah.
0: Versus what you were doing. You were like, wait, let me see if this person's a good fit for me and would I want to work with this person. Yeah. So, you know, it's almost like a doctor, a doctor is not trying to, get a patient you know to give them some medication they're like no i need to see if this patient actually even qualifies otherwise they're like no i think you have a brain issue you need to go see a neurosurgeon yeah
2: exactly right
0: yeah so i i'm really curious because you know this would tip this behavior would typically build and happen in an agency environment especially if you're client facing and you're doing bd work or upfront sales work that
1: was most of my work to be honest i wasn't doing a lot of growth strategy I, I was reviewing the work of our strategist but most of the time it was pitching new clients and wanting them like getting them to want to work with us so maybe that's where it came from
0: right <laughs> yeah. right I, it's always interesting to know where certain where these little skills and these yeah. little habits because intuitively you know if like you said you know you wanted to please people you were yeah. trying to please your parents for a certain reason yeah. whatever so you know, if you're trying to qualify a client and you're trying to assess if this is a good fit, you can't be a people pleaser in that moment in time. You have to take that hat off completely. Right. Yeah, um, that's really interesting. And I, I think for audiences listening, you know, if you have your own independent business and or you're client facing, you know, the moment you go in begging and act like please work with me, that's just gonna uh, rub people the wrong way, um, and people don't like being sold to. So it I leads, really like that approach.
1: It leads to. Um not great working relationships or even like output I find. But I will say though, that like, um, especially if you're earlier in your career doing freelancing, sometimes you don't have the opportunity to pick and choose, right? Like I was like, I used to do email marketing, freelancing, like way back in the day. And I would just take any client that would hire me because I just thought that that was so cool. Right. And so I do want to just like, acknowledge that like there is a starting point and sometimes you kind of have to do that but as you get more senior as you get more business and establish yourself in your in your craft um you get more choice eventually
0: right so i i would actually sort of defer and have a sort of slightly contrarian sort of not contrary but a different view on that yeah even when you're starting out Mm -hmm. right and you're hungry for work instead of saying please work with me Go in prepared, just like you did with the VP when you got your first job. Go in prepared, learn a little bit about who this company is, who this person is. Uh, Ask interesting, informed, curious questions and that will immediately help you stand out from everybody else.
2: Yeah.
0: And that will firstly improve your chances of actually getting the work. Uh, Number two, the client will not just see you as a tactful executioner, even if that's what you do. Uh, they, they will be able to have, there's like this halo effect that happens when they see you as somebody who's having an interesting, and they're, and you're asking interesting informed questions based on your own research, they will, you will be able to build rapport and trust more easily. Yeah. And so now, even though you're a beginner and you've not done, you don't have a ton of experience and you don't have a massive portfolio, you're still not saying, please hire me. You're still showing up. True. Yeah with just being a little proactive and these are the kind of things that you were already doing it in those well.ca days yeah, 100%. so that's why i would never recommend because these are habits and mindset that you built right from day one yeah
1: fair.
0: and not wait to become somebody senior um and any- also
1: like i think too like don't try to be everything for everybody like i think the earlier on that you can like hone in on who you want to serve and who you want to partner with and collaborate with brand yourself in that way Because then all that's going to do is attract more people that are in line with what you want to, the type of people you want to work with. Um, And so that also just gets easier. Right. Um, I think again, and I was a victim of this as well. Like early days is when you start freelancing or working for yourself or whatever it is, you just try to be everything for anyone who will work with you or hire you. Right. Um, And it doesn't lead to great productive relationships. So try to like niche yourself a bit.
0: That's a really good point. Yes, absolutely. Um, You know, I think, especially if you're an independent contributor and you're starting out, it's even more reason to get even more niche and specific. I think that's that's great advice. Um, But all all I'm actually saying under underneath all of this is just be proactive, be, be interested and just don't look at this as another project. Totally. And that will just immensely change the tone of how you show up and how you converse with that person. Um, okay. So cool. So now you you're, you're qualified. So you've already got an influx of clients and you're qualifying them, which is this beautiful scenario, which is rare, but yeah. you know, you worked and developed that, those relationships to make this happen, mm-hmm. you know, the butterfly effect. <laughs> um, so now what's happening? So you've, so, so this is, you're getting, you got, you've selected Deepak Chopra, yeah, the Chopra uh, group. Yeah. So tell us more about what's happening.
1: Yes, I worked with them for um, six months. I'm still working with them in in a small capacity, but I would say I was working with them as my main client for six months. Um, And again, just figured out my services as I went. I just kind of assessed the situation, figured out where I could add value, where I couldn't help them bring on external partners or other partners. Um, and so yeah, I worked with them. I really enjoy the work because again, I go in as an advisor. I'm not a doer. I go in, I assess the situation is what I'm good at, right? Like looking at all the different like chess pieces and helping them figure out where to place bets based on my experience and my knowledge, um, and have a team of marketers, uh, to go and execute on those strategies. So that to me is my sweet spot. Um, And I set that expectation up front. I'm like, I will not be in there pushing buttons doing that type of work. Will I build decks? Will I build business cases? Of course. Yes. Um, But that is a, and I actually have gotten that question a lot over the last few weeks of people who want to just do that, but they don't know how to get out of the tactical work. So I would just say, set that expectation up front and look for clients or companies who have two, three, depending on the size of companies, but at least two to three marketers on the ground who can do do the do the work. Um, so I did that. And then the other thing I did was um I was asked to join um a couple accelerators here in Toronto as like a mentor. I think they call them entrepreneur in residence or whatever, and work with a bunch of different founders uh of smaller stage companies. So I do that as well, uh, which I find extremely rewarding. I love, I love that work. Um, and some of those have then turned into clients after the accelerator program and things like that. So that is kind of my like coaching and or not coaching, sorry, consulting business where it's very specific to strategic work and an advisory work um, and i'm still doing that to this day
0: so when you work with a client like chopra and you're like you know you got to set that expectation up front are there specific kind of conversations or or things or themes that you need to express to help the you know like make the life of the client easy in putting you in that box of like oh i need this person upstream To help me get through the, are are there certain things that you're saying or ways you're showing up to be positioned in their mind as an expert who is going to help them with the strategic thinking versus the doer who can, who they can maybe find on Fiverr? Are there, what, what?
1: That's actually how I position it is like, even if I were to do the work or do the execution work, you're going to pay me way too much to do that. Like you are better to pay me for my, my, my thoughts and my strategy and my yeah, my thinking power, um, than me doing the work. Like it's more economical for you to pay me in that way and get someone way more affordable to actually go and execute on these strategies. Otherwise you're going to be paying a lot, um, more than you, you would need to. Um, so that's one way I position it. Um, and then I think the other way I position it is it's, it's honestly just comes to like down to setting very clear expectations. Even if you're not like, executive level coming in advising on like the overall organization structure or growth strategy or whatever. Let's say you're an email marketer and you're tired of sending emails, but you love the strategy behind it. Just position yourself that way. Say, Hey, I'm actually really strong at the strategic side. Here's some examples of some of the work or the types of projects I typically work on. Um, I only work with clients who have at least one email marketing coordinator or specialist or whatever, um, on the ground so that they can support the strategies I'm going to build for you. So I think it's just like setting those expectations up front. And again, not trying to be everything to everybody. So I think that people fall into that trap of like, oh my God, well, if I don't do the work, are they going to not hire me? Maybe, but then if they hire you, you're going to be doing work that you don't want to do. So then why did you go out on your own in the first place? You know?
0: (laughs) So now I don't know what the scale and size of Chopra group was and the team that you were specifically, or the stakeholders that you were working with, Now, because you are an outside consultant Mm -hmm. and you've been brought in to coach and guide the teams, you know, there's probably egos, there's probably other challenges. And they see you as like this, who is this person? Right. And sometimes, you know, being a woman can also be sometimes seen as a negative, you know. So when you're in these kind of, of course, you're qualifying and, you know, you're working with the decision maker, but. The decision maker might not be involved in the day-to-day strategy stuff that you're doing with maybe other leaders and and, and you know building the frameworks or the processes, whatever. Are there certain things that you keep in mind or are doing to help facilitate that? Any past experiences that carry forward in these contexts mm-hmm. that come to mind for you? Uh, or-
1: Relationship building again, like that's one of the first things I did when I joined. I was essentially I was they didn't have a VP of marketing, so I was filling that role, helping them figure out what the organizational structure needed to look like for where they wanted to go, what like roles were like immediate priority hires, helping find those people, reevaluating all the different channel strategies to see what was working, what wasn't, et cetera. Um, But marketing often touches everything, right? So like one of the first things I did was make, really strong relationships, um, with the VP of sales, VP of education, the CFO, CEO, like all those people. Um, so that when I, when I was coming to the table to get their buy-in or need their buy-in on something, we had that trust, um, and that foundation built. Um, so I would just say that that's another common thread that's even coming to life now, which helped me get into consulting in the first place was because of those relationships I made throughout my corporate career. Um, but now that I'm in consulting, like relationships are like, if not maybe even more important now right? Because you're just some random person coming in. Um, not random, but you know what I mean? You're an external person coming in. You don't have that history that some of the other full-time employees do. Um, so like establishing trusting relationships as soon as possible is super important, I would say.
0: Right. Cause you're also outside of their like politics, their red tape and all that stuff. You
1: still get and it
0: also depends on the, of course it obviously <laughs> depends on the size of the organization, yeah. but are there is there any one tactic or thing that you do to come off as non-threatening? Because that's a big hump, that first meeting, yeah. because people are, because a lot of people feel threatened when, you know, the the, yeah. the boss, the owner has brought bringing in this because they feel like, wait,
2: yeah.
0: or was it because we don't even know what the internal decision making was to bring in? Was there a collective buy-in that we need an right. external partner versus it was just an executive decision made by the owner so are, is there, are there any like things that you do to come off as non-threatening any little little things that you might do in terms of the way you send an email or the way you say hello mm, that could be helpful sure. for somebody else
1: yeah i think one of the things i did was i wanted everyone to feel like i was there to help them like not help the CEO and the CFO achieve what they're doing uh, potentially at the like cost of maybe others and how they felt about their role. But like literally like every single person I met with, whether it was the VP of sales, all of my questions and conversations were directed on how can I help you do your job better, enjoy your work better, collaborate better with marketing, get what you need out of marketing, et cetera. So I always made it about them. It wasn't about me. Um, And it was also just like really good information gathering, right? It helped me build the relationships figure out like where the fires were and like what needed to be addressed. But I think when you come at it from that angle and, and genuinely, I was genuinely doing it. It was not like a front. I genuinely wanted to know how I could help all these people as much as possible. Um, I think they see you as a partner and not somebody coming in to totally disrupt everything. Um, and it could be the smallest thing too of like, I remember when I first joined Chopra, um, meeting with all the ICs and just being like, Hey, what part of your job do you hate? Like what sucks? What is taking up way too much time? Where's the friction points working with other teams? Like, and just really understanding like what all those pain points are. And like, when you let them vent and talk about that stuff, and they're like, Oh my God, finally someone's listening. I might not have had solutions to all of it, but it was like painting that bigger picture of like, okay, I'm here to support all of you in some capacity. Um, I think that goes a long way.
0: So is there something that you're doing to help them overcome their fear of sharing some of those things? Because they might be like, Oh wait. wait."
1: Uh, Yeah. I just remove the emotion out of it for myself and also for them. I'm like, I'm an external consultant. I'm not going to be here for forever. I'm not your manager. You don't have to worry about upsetting me. Like I'm literally going to be here for three to six months. So put it all out on the table because that allows me to make better decisions and do the right thing. If you keep things from me, I'm I don't have all the information to make the best decision possible. So that's how I kind of went about it. And even for myself, I removed emotion out of it big time compared to being a full-time employee somewhere. Um, I knew that like, I wasn't going to be here forever. I was like, you know what I mean? And I don't mean that in a bad way, but it was just like, it's one of those things that I was there to do a job. And I, I wanted to build strong relationships along the way and have an impact, but Sometimes you get really emotionally attached to your full time ro- role and your your like your job, right, and the place you work. But I think um, with consulting and and coming at it from that angle, you don't really do that as much. So that helped.
0: I think there's a couple of things here, um, and obviously this is your first consulting client.
1: Uh yes, in this capacity as an advisor.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. And so you know, there you're sort of because you're coming in at that executive level, you have to sort of navigate egos. You have to be come off as non-threatening mm-hmm. and you have to help people overcome their fear of sharing things, which are ultimately the things that you need to fix. Yeah. Right. And there's always like this apprehension and fear of like, Oh wait, is this person going to go behind my back and tell the right. boss? So I think in th- I, I liked some of the ways that you sort of tackle some of those situations that, Hey, look, I'm going to be gone. Blah, yeah, blah, blah. So sure you, help. Right. Um, uh, So that's really cool. I, there's some uh, good learnings and uh, things to take away, um, especially for people who are trying to maybe build a bridge with a foreign team, or they're coming in cold to this new context, you know, or even if you get moved to a new team, new city, and you have to now. so how do you build that bridge, you know, be the least threatening person and be transparent. I think that's a, again, a common thread that you've had in your career.
1: Yes. But I'm going to say one thing. I actually think it's okay to be a little bit threatening, like not intentionally. If you are coming at it and building these relationships genuinely and just being a human at the end of the day, great. Do that. But you're also being brought in as a consultant for a reason. Something's not working. Something's broken. And in, in Chopra's case, I'll just be honest. Um, there wasn't like enough clear direction. There wasn't enough firm decisions being made, people like anchoring in something and going for it. So I had, no problem doing that. Right. Like I came in, I was hired to do that. So you kind of do have to come in in a, in a certain capacity, even though you're not trying to be threatening, I probably came off as threatening in some capacities. Cause it's like, who is this new person coming in, making all these decisions? And she doesn't even work here full time. Right. Um, but I think that just kind of comes with the role a little bit, but if you can balance that with just being a genuine, good human being and like building trust and asking the right questions, That's what you, I think actually the balance you need to have to be a good consultant. Because you can't just go in there and people please and do what everyone else wants you to do. That's not why they hired you. Right.
0: If I was to expand what you said, how much is this more about challenging them versus threatening them? Because threatening is very different. Fair. Because the moment you threaten somebody, they're going to shut off and not. That's just like very primal biology, human Mm -hmm. sort of. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the answer. Actually, I'm I'm wondering. Yeah. And I'm asking actually, because you might have a better sense of this. One is, I think it's important to challenge people, but not threaten them. And, and number two, part of that is when you're sort of going in these situations and you're, you're trying to learn about their child, their problems and pain points. It's, There's a whole change management piece to this, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and change management is difficult because people don't like changing the way they've been doing things a long time. So my sense and intuition saying that this is more about challenging them, but in a way that they feel uh, comfortable and they don't have, they're not threatened. So they don't, they don't fear. They don't have fear. Uh, I don't know what your take is on that.
1: I think that's actually a very interesting point because I think you're a hundred percent right. Challenging them, challenging them even, even, and sometimes when I hear challenge, it's like, you're wrong. Like that's not even challenge. It's just like, have we thought about it this way? What if we come at it this way, right? So it's like challenge them, challenging them to think about problems in a different way, giving them a new perspective, doing it in a way within your control that would not result in them feel threatened. However, you can't control how they react, right? So some people might feel threatened as a result of you challenging them to think about things in different ways. That's actually a really interesting nuance. Yes. Yeah. Threatening threat, feeling threatened as a reaction to being challenged, how you go about challenging people. You can do that in a way that decreases the likelihood of somebody responding. Love it. You know what I mean?
0: Love it. Yes. It's that's the thing. It's like, you know even in my personal experiences like how do you come off as the least threatening person Mm -hmm. and you're genuine and honest and transparent and interested in having a conversation with that person and not just like oh how was your day which is like such a nonsensical sort of like filler word sort of thing that people do all the time but yeah and and challenging them not by personally attacking them but to your point have we thought about it like this way? Why doesn't that work? And just being like genuinely curious, like like a child, like looking at it like as a as a child would look at something. Wait, how come we don't do it like this?
1: Or why did we do it like that? I'm- and it's not because I think we did it wrong, but I'm just genuinely curious what went into this approach. Why did we do it this way? What did we learn? Right. And so, yeah, it's asking those questions. And so if I were to rephrase actually, this is really good that you pointed this out. I would say, as a consultant, your job is to challenge how that company has historically thought about things in the least threatening way possible
0: yeah because like that's how we've always done it
1: yeah (laughs) cool well it's not working that's why i'm here so let's think about it (laughs) a different way right so yeah
0: beautiful okay so so now you've you've you've, you're working with this first client and now if we were to sort of fully circle back and come back to your present state what are you working on these days and and in terms of the the tall size if you want to talk a little bit more about that Mm -hmm. and then the coaching part sure actually let's start with the coaching part because that's a good segue from where we are right now
1: yeah yeah yeah, for sure so um yeah so that's kind of the consulting like i said more tactical strategic uh whatever helping them achieve a a particular measurable end goal i would say um on the coaching front this is like a, a new thing for my for myself but um i think since it's been about a year since I went out on my own, I've done some reflecting and I'm like, oh man, like I've learned a lot along the way or I've whatever. There's stuff that I think I can, I can teach other people who either want to climb. If, if, if the corporate thing is for you and you want to accelerate your growth, cool. I have a lot of learnings I can share with you. Um, or if you're looking to make the jump to be, go out on your own as a consultant, or you want to start your own business and whatever, whatever capacity, um, I'm just starting to share some of my like experiences in real time. I think Uh, I haven't done that before. I've done a lot of like behind closed doors. If I know you cool, like let's have a really cool, meaningful chat like this. But I've recently like had a realization that I'm like, man, I feel like I have a lot to offer. Like I have a lot to share and I'm like not helping anybody by like keeping it to myself. So here I am. Another reason why I was excited about this, but um, yeah, I would just say coaching. I recently hired a coach for myself um, because I knew I had a lot of like um, limiting beliefs I would say up here of what I was capable of and I just wasn't thinking big enough um, for myself and she really helped me work through that. Um, so that's been a really cool experience and I think just since I've shared a little bit more openly mostly as of recently on on LinkedIn um, just had a lot of women reaching out being like, hey, like, how do you, what do you think about this or how do you think about this? Um, and so just starting to work with those women in more one-to-one ways and guiding them through these things that I've been through myself it's just happening kind of. So I'm still, again, figuring that out as I go, but that's, that's where I'm at on the coaching front.
0: I'll start with like something super basic is, is this like a life coach, coach a business coach? What kind of coaching were you seeking and how did you even
1: get Ooh, to the yeah, idea? My coach?
0: Yeah, your coach. How did you even get to the idea of like, getting a coach like oh
1: good question yeah so there's a woman i follow on instagram rachel melinda she uh owns her own business or she's owned her own business for a while i followed her for a while um and she actually was like a intuitive eating coach i think was her her title or how she branded herself and she helped women with eating disorders. And there was just like a certain way this woman like carried herself on social media that I was just like, Whoa, I was just drawn to her. I was like, Whoa, she is like powerful. And she started to share some of the things she was learning from this coach. Um, and I got intrigued. I started following the coach, whatever. And then um, the coach, Catherine, her, Barka I don't know how to say your last name. Anyways, I call her CF. She was doing a free masterclass. Um, and I was like, you know what, let me go try it out. Like, let me just see what this is all about. And I was hooked right after that. And the cheapest investment to work with her is $10,000 for six months. I had never spent that much money on something like this before. And so um, I just, but it was, it was a very scary decision, Um, but it was also a no brainer at the same time. And ever since then I've been working with her now in an even like more intimate capacity, which has been cool. Uh, And she's, she is a mindset coach. She is not a business coach. She says, she's like, I'm not going to be able to give you tactical strategic advice and whatever. She's like, I'm going to help you reflect look inward ask yourself the right questions and really just like get over a lot of those humps that we all have and like blocks we have in our own brains
0: so scary in the moment of signing up and totally worth it looking back game changer right okay fantastic so now i don't know how comfortable you are talking about any of the things of course they're probably very personal things but if there is Mm -hmm. any one thing that you would call maybe let's say your to your words limiting belief yeah that you've overcome in the last few months is there anything that you feel comfortable sharing with mm-hmm. and you feel that a lot of other women who might be listening to this have
1: yeah one thing i've noticed recently and this i kind of just touched on this is that like is that i when i have one on one conversations with people that i just happen to know and they ask me questions and i share some of the stuff i've shared today they t- they i know they take a lot away from it i can feel that they take a lot away from it and it's it's helpful but I never had the confidence to go beyond those one-on-one closed door conversations. Um, I didn't want to be like too out there or too much or like, who am I to talk about this stuff? Right. And I would say that's actually one thing she's helped me work through is that um, it's just like, all I'm doing is sharing my experience, right. My story, what's worked for me, what didn't work for me. And I think I got really hung up on like but is that the right way to do things? Like, should you do that? Should you not? But then I think I had a recent realization of like, who gives a shit? It worked for me. If it lands with you, cool. If it doesn't, cool. Um, So I think just showing up in a bigger way and being able to help more people as a result. uh, Because before I was like, um, I was trying to just stay... I was shrinking, to be honest, to make, keep, keep people comfortable. Like, cause I know as soon as I start sharing more, if I post too much or if I, the other day I posted my salary openly and I'm like, I know my dad's going to text me about this and say, you're not supposed to talk about your, like, I know that I know that. And I know it's going to make some people uncomfortable, but the people it's making uncomfortable aren't really the people I'm trying to help is what I'm realizing. Right? Like the, the women that like flooded my DMS after being like, Oh my God, since you're sharing so transparently, like, what do you think? How do you think I can make this jump or How did you negotiate? Like all this, these things that like I can now help them. Or even I had one message yesterday of like, yo, thanks for sharing that. Cause it's actually cool to see a woman your age making that much money. I didn't know that was possible. So like I need to like, that's one like hump I've gotten over is like, fuck what all those other people have to say, because I don't think those are the people I'm trying to serve. Um, As long as like I can help the people I'm trying to help, then why not? Right. And so not, I guess if I were to summarize, like don't shrink, yourself to make people around you comfortable um, expand where you want to expand and help others if you can along the way.
0: One thing that I'm sort of taking away from this is that she's helping you accept who you are and double down on that. Number one
1: mm-hmm.
0: and be like, yeah, don't hold back. Just go all in. Um, and then two, another thing that I'm sensing is that It's helping you get more closer and getting more grounded with your own inner reality and let that reflect outwards. I don't know how much that is this, or maybe I'm just over over analyzing this, but that's, that's the feeling that I'm getting Mm -hmm. and that's giving you that confidence from within and not seeking external validation validation because you no longer care about those titles, whatever, whatever, because it's, it's coming from within. Yeah. So you're just doing it because you want to do it. And now that external validation is almost like detached from the thing that you're doing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know how much that I is. I think that's
1: bang on because what's interesting about her program and the work that she makes you do, it's a lot of work. And I'm not going to lie. It's every single day. It's reflecting, journaling, listening. to. Some, it's, it's a lot of work. But all of it, what I noticed, it all comes back. I've never been so clear on what I want. And it's funny because the very first, it, her her course over the, over the 12 weeks, each week is a different module. The very first week is just getting clear on what you want and she talks about these things that's like a type b type and c type goals a lot of people have a type goals which they know exactly how to achieve and it's just like it's like checking off a to-do list and it makes you feel good about yourself b type goals you're like I know I can do it I could go this way or this way I'm not sure which one's going to be the best but let me try I'm going to get there eventually right it's still very realistic she encourages us to think of like c type goals which are like holy crap this is I have no fucking clue how I'm going to do this no idea because it's so big and it's so audacious, but when you reflect enough and ask yourself the question enough of what do I actually want? Like, where do I, what am I envisioning when I think about my life in 10, 15, whatever it is. Right. Um, she's, she's like, those are the things you need to set your eyes on, um, and start chasing after. Um, so it's a lot of looking inward. It's a lot of what do I want? Not, Oh my God. Okay. I need to be like, 30 under 30 Forbes list, or like, I have to do all these things that other people are telling me to do. So that I would say is and not a lot. I don't think enough people, men and women, all, all types. I don't think people spend enough time getting really clear on what they as a human want for themselves, not their parents, not their friends, not society. So that's actually been, I think the biggest game changing thing. And then as soon as you're clear on that, everything you do gets you closer to that, right? The people you talk with, the people you surround yourself with, the opportunities you go after, the way you carry yourself, the way you dress—like everything—just slowly but surely brings you closer to that because you know exactly where you're going. Otherwise, you kind of just like float around.
0: I love it. I love this. I'm, I'm so glad that, uh, firstly, uh, that you met the right coach because there's a lot of shitty coaches out there as well. No. Right.
1: <laughs> First time too. Like I, yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. So I think number one, I'm so glad that you found a good coach. Yeah. And number two, um, you're right. A lot of people spend so much time fixing the outside, the external world, whereas ninety-nine, like, and this is like a sort of a slight, quick off tangent, but you know how people say that you know money solves only money problems and blah blah blah. But that's not true at all. I don't. I completely disagree because a child born in a poor family where you're you're not sure where the next meal is coming from Mm -hmm. versus a child who's born in a nurturing environment where they have all the facilities and they have this abundance mindset is going to be very different Mm -hmm. and how is that solving money problems Mm -hmm. that's solving psychological problems Mm -hmm. and money problems Mm -hmm. and shaping who you are anyways I, i don't want to divulge too far down that path unless you want to talk a little bit more about that but I'm really fascinated by psychology and how things work and epigenetics and, you know, some of that, but obviously not hardcore biology. But the other piece that you talked about, all of these sort of different things are helping you find your voice. And not, I just I don't just mean, you know, the podcast that we're recording over here, but really speaking from here.
1: Yeah. And I'm still I don't I still don't know. I, I think that's like the experimental phase I'm in right now is just like flexing that muscle a little bit because I don't think I have flexed it enough. Yeah. Again, I flex a lot behind closed doors. Like you ask me a question. I won't stop talking, but <laughs> I wasn't, I, I felt actually, you know what? I was like, I feel like I can, that's <laughs> <laughs> so why this episode is going to be eight hours long because I could talk all day literally. But it's like, I, I just had this like deep feeling when I was thinking about what I wanted and where I wanted to go and the impact I wanted to make. It's like, I can be helping so many more people than I am. Who am I? I'm not serving anybody by like being quiet and only, sharing this stuff when I'm asked a question, right? So I think I'm still like what's to saying getting my sea legs a little bit um of sharing more frequently and openly and I'm really and I'm also trying to just share from like what I think is helpful or what's been helpful for me and take feedback but mostly look at what questions people are asking me to inform the type of stuff I share. Not like, oh, that got this many likes and this. And like historically, that's how I operated. So I'm trying very, very, very hard to not look at that as validation and feedback, but more so look at the types of questions that are coming back and things that people want me to go deeper on and using that to kind of guide me, if that makes sense.
0: That is such a good point because your whole career, you are literally in a habit, sorry, and you got into this mental habit and and it becomes a physicality is you're constantly measuring the results of your email campaign. And now you're like constantly testing how your content is doing. But I think one exercise that's really helpful is to separate yourself from your content and analyze the feedback on the content, but not what it means to you. Look at your content that you're putting out as a product and separate it from yourself. That's really helpful.
1: Uh, I brought this question to my coach last week because for, for my business tall size, but I'll, like it's actually mostly on the tall size front. I don't feel it as much with just the stuff I'm sharing for, my, for myself personally. But um, I was like, how do I not care about the metrics? I, I think it's just so ingrained in who I am and the types of role I've, roles I've had previously. And she's like, just don't look at them. I'm like, wait, what do you mean? What do you mean? And she's like, just don't look at them for two months and see what happens. And I was like, but how am I going to know if it's working? And she's like, don't look at them. So I'm trying that right now. I'm gonna see what happens. Um, but my and my comeback to that was like, okay, well, I look at the metrics because I'm paying someone to run my social media, I'm paying someone to help us with SEO. I want to make sure that like they're doing their jobs and like things are moving in the right direction. She's like, so trust them to do their jobs. They can look at the metrics, they can tell you qualitatively what's working, what's not working. You don't need to look. I'm like, true. I do think I still need to look at the metrics. Obviously, every now and again, but not obsessed with that, of like over them, like almost daily, like I was before. So,
0: right. Yeah. Work
1: in progress.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. Look at it. You're looking at more from the lens of how do I make more content that resonates yeah, versus getting obsessed with likes and. Yeah. Exactly. So I think the way you, you you put it is you're looking at the questions that are coming back yeah. versus the likes. Exactly. And that tells you if the content is resonating or not. Mm-hmm. I love that. I really like that. I, in fact, anybody who's trying to be a content creator and start to put themselves out there, that's a really good framework to have, mental framework to have, mm-hmm. is to look at, even if it's one person that is your authentic fan and is asking genuine questions, double down on that. Yeah. Uh, love it. So, okay. So now you've, you've sort of uh, going through this coaching journey and I'm, I'm guessing this is going to be an ongoing thing for you. Yes.
1: Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm still, it's still so new to be honest, like literally this past month. Um. So I'm going to help where I think I can help and like what feels good and just see what happens with it.
0: Right. So just one quick question about this coaching aspect before we sort of switch topics a little bit, switch gears. Mm-hmm. Are there any things that you've come across during this whole coaching period with the person that you're working with that you find very difficult to do and are having a hard time sort of overcoming? And if you want to talk about it, you don't have to. Mm -hmm. It could be very personal. I understand. Mm -hmm. But is there anything that is very difficult to do or you found initially very difficult to do, but now you're like, oh, so obvious.
1: I think a lot of it, like at least in the way she coaches, is it challenges like, all of your paradigms, all of the ways that you've been programmed as a human being, it, it, she basically tells you to do the opposite, like flip it on its head and see what happens. So that I think has been the most challenging part is like unlearning all of that stuff that doesn't happen overnight. Right. Um, and I think I've made some progress on the surface level of starting to peel back some of those layers, um, and reprogramming it, um, to work for me and not you're, you're programmed by your parents and society and your friends and whatever. Right. And like, I think for me, my focus right now is like, how do I unlearn that stuff and reprogram myself in a way that works for me and and, and my loved ones around me. Right. Obviously it's not all about me. Um, so that's been difficult. And I actually think, so I actually finished the first six months with her and then hired her in a one-on-one capacity. Um, and not just the group group coaching stuff. Um, because I felt like I made progress on the service level, but I'm like, there's some deep shit in there that I need to go into unless somebody is holding me accountable and like pushing me in, pushing me there. I won't do it. So I I don't, I still don't think I've made progress on that, but that's kind of where I'm at right now is like, there's so many things I like, I want to ask her about, but I almost don't like I do this almost every day. I like voice. I want to go voice note her something. I'm like, Oh my God, don't be stupid. That's a stupid question. Nicole Or like, you're better than that. You can figure that out. But I think it's like pushing myself to ask those questions because there's something there, right? Um, maybe it's because I don't want the answer or I don't want the solution that I think she's going to give me and I avoid it. So that's really my focus right now is just like going into those like super uncomfortable places.
0: That Wow, there's so much to unpack there. But yeah, before I do any of that, one thing is, you know how we were talking about initially consulting, challenging. That's, that's literally what your coach is doing.
1: She's challenged every single And
0: you're her biggest fan. So she is, she's not threatening you. She's having uncomfortable, difficult conversations, which, you know, hit a nerve, uh, are probably really painful, some of them. And like you just said, you know, there's some things that you don't want the answers to. So she
1: literally like, I'm going to share this example because I think it's so interesting. So I have this consulting thing that I'm doing. I don't have a website. I don't have anything that outlines my services. Like, I don't, if people reach out to me, I'm like, let me just chat and have a conversation and see what you can help with. And I'll just, I kind of just riff off of it. Right. And I voice noted her the other day. and I was like, Catherine, I'm working out because I am launching a website. Cause I do want to have like a, a physical presence beyond just my LinkedIn, but I'm like, Oh, I need a services page. And I was like, I'd like. Had so much resistance to it, and I was like, "Catherine, how do I do? Like, how do I do this? I don't want to do this, blah blah blah." But okay, like, I guess I'll structure it this way. And I was just kind of asking her for feedback So I'm like, "How did you work through this in your business? Like, how do you explain to people what a mindset coach is going to get you? Like, that's super ambiguous." And I felt like the work I was doing because it's so broad was pretty ambiguous. And her response to me was like, "Do you need one?" And I was like, "What do you mean? Do I need one? Of course I need one. Everyone has a services page." She's like. I don't think you need one. She was like, people know who you are. People know what you can do. You've worked this long and this hard to establish a reputation for yourself. I think if you put a services page on your website, you're actually going backwards. And I was like, got it. So that landed with me because I, there was obviously resistance there. I didn't want to do it. Um, And I'm still working through that. My website still isn't launched. I don't know what that looks like, but I know I was trying to put myself into this box of what other people, everyone has a services page, right? But I'm like, nah, fuck that. I don't want to do that. So it's interesting. She literally just challenges every single thing I come to her with.
0: Just from the way you described how you qualify the client and you're picking, that tells me so much about the kind of person you are. Mm. And then two, there is this false sense of like, oh, you need like a pretty portfolio page website to get good clients and get charged a lot not the case at all if because referrals trump everything else number one yeah (laughs) and number two who is giving the referral to who if it's a ceo saying get nicole nobody's gonna ask you for your portfolio or the work that you've done And that's something that a lot of people miss. Um,
1: That's literally what I ended up doing. Instead, I was spending so much time trying to figure out what my different packages were and all this shit. And when she said that to me, I was like, "Okay." And I literally just went and emailed everybody I've worked with in a significant capacity, most of which are fairly senior people. And I was like, hey, can you just write about your experience working with me? And everyone was so happy to do it. And I'm like, I'm just going to put those in my, that's there, like book some time with me if you want to learn more, but like that, let that just speak for itself. So that was like a very interesting learning I had.
0: Yeah. I would totally advise this for, you know, people listening who maybe are starting their own independent thing is you don't need all that fluffy crap. If you have, if you can get referrals, focus on getting referrals and having other people talk about you that is going to do way better and be more efficient and get you much better prices versus cost. A lot of people focus on cost versus price, but um, love it. I love sort of how you sort of summarize that. And I can just by you saying how you qualify the client is like those early conversations, because that's where you're setting the tone with the client. And that's where that expectation is being set by just you qualifying them. You're setting the expectation without even setting the expectation. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so there's a lot of uh, sort of underlying communication happening there. love it. okay. so now, sort of coming back to uh, where you are now and so you so clearly, you've seen the benefits of having a great coach yeah. and they, that person is helping you unlock all of this stuff that was inside yeah. you and helping you see things differently. and yeah. that's, and then that that frame of thinking, of bringing different perspective and challenging you uncovering hidden gems and truths and uncomfortable areas mm-hmm. and that's that that could totally translate over into the consulting work that you're doing with clients and how Absolutely. you challenge versus threaten
1: and it's all just questions literally like my coach doesn't tell me what to do she's not like nicole you must not have a services page she just asked me things like do you need one do you do you ha- like do you have referrals do you have and, and same with like and when i think about consult like you just said consulting's the same it's like why did we do it that way? Have we thought about it this way? And even it's funny when I think about my own people management approach and some of the the women I'm mentoring right now. One woman comes to mind and she always comes to me when she's like negotiating her salary for her next role or whatever. And she had all these job opportunities and she came to me for advice and I think she wanted me to tell her like, "Okay, well, based on like market potential and like revenue and the size of the company and where they're like how fast they're growing, you should go here." But I, like I didn't, I just kind of like, I think took that same learning of like asking the types of questions to help her just figure out like what feels good to her. Right. And what's most in line with like what she wants. Um, and so when she actually wrote me my testimonial that I asked her for, it came down to like, she wrote something like that. Like Nicole doesn't tell you what you want to do what you're supposed to do. She asks you like interesting introspective questions to help you get there on your own, which is, so I think I've learned that um, especially recently working with my coach. Um, But that's all it is, is just asking people questions because everyone has the answer they need. Really.
0: Uh, I think this holds true for coaches, mentors, teachers is not telling people what to think, but how to think. Yeah. And that's getting curious, which you are uh, and reframing, that thing, and then also, what's the label that you're putting on that thing, yeah. based on those past experiences, whether good or bad? Really. love it. okay, so now this is a perfect segue into sort of so wh- tell us a little bit about the I actually want to know a little bit more about the coaching stuff that you're doing with your clients and and if there's somebody out there who's listening to this or watching this, why would they come to you, and what are you helping other women or other people sort of do?
1: Still figuring that out, but being honest um i would say why would they come to me i think or
0: let's reframe that why have they been coming to you and sticking uh, around
1: yeah i think they just um i think they just see what i've accomplished they see something in me that they want to achieve for themselves and i think that that's bang on and i i've done that myself in my career right like if i see someone who has the title i want or the job that i want or um a client i want or someone's built a business that i like i just find a way to connect with them. Right. So I think that that's, what's, the more I share about my experiences and whatnot, I think that that's just going to attract naturally people who see something in me that they want to achieve themselves. So I actually think it's an amazing move to, to try to like get closer to somebody who's done it and learn from them. Right. Um, so I would say that's one thing. And then I also just think like the other benefit and just in general of having a mentor or a coach or whatever you want to call it is, um, they can ask you those tough questions, but they're also nine times out of 10 more well-connected than you are They've achieved more, they know more people. Um, and, if they they see something in you, they work with you. They know what you want. Like that can also just help accelerate where you got to go, right? Um, there's a, a woman that comes to mind. Um, I interviewed her like five years ago for an email marketing role, and I didn't give her the job. Um, she had recently immigrated to Canada from India, and she just she didn't have enough work experience in the moment. We stayed in touch over LinkedIn and uh, stayed connected, and then I guess when I made the jump out onto to do my own consulting. She reached back out and was like, Hey, I don't know if you remember me, but you, and I was like, yeah, I totally remember you. And she asked if we could jump on a call. And I met with her and she kind of shared where she was at. She was feeling burnt out. She had like acquired a ton of experience in the last like four years or whatever. and was now a specialist in her field in email marketing. And I just so happened to need to hire somebody as a contractor at Chopra to do that work, to support my strategies. Right. So it just, I just hired her, you know? And so it's like, had she have not reached out to me and almost kind of leaned on me in that like mentorship capacity, maybe and now she's out on her own doing her own consulting because Chopra was her first client allowed her to do that. Right. So it's like having somebody in your corner to ask you the tough questions, to connect you with opportunities that you might not have otherwise gotten um, and coaching you on those types of things around like how to price yourself properly, um, I think accelerates all those things that you want to do. Um, yeah. Hopefully that answers the question.
0: Cool. No, that 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 is really helpful. Um, are there particular kind of uh people that you would you like prefer working with?
1: Yeah, I'll just say who they are. I don't know yet. Um, I like working with all of these people. Um, I don't. It's still so early. Like literally, of course, yeah. Last couple of months, so I don't really know yet. But like, who I'm finding is reaching out, and who I'm able to provide value to is um, women. Trying to accelerate their their corporate career and 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 get higher salaries, get better titles, more responsibility, etc., um, is one. And then I think the other big one I'm noticing right now is people who feel that nudge to go out on their own, but they don't know how. Um, and so they they tend they typically have quite a bit of experience working for other companies, um, and they're trying to just figure out like how do I position myself as a consultant or an advisor. Um, those I would say from the coaching capacity are the types of people I work with. And then the consulting who I really enjoy working with are um, female founders, like other women building businesses and figuring it out. Right. So those are kind of like the three arenas I would say or types of people.
0: Okay. That's actually super helpful. So the overarching theme is one is, you know, helping and enabling women to climb the corporate ladder, you know, or, or get to that position or that Just desired accelerate role. accelerate it.
1: Honestly, accelerate it. Put
0: fuel on it. Yeah. yeah. Right. So that's one. And, and, and you have such great experiences. And in fact, we talked about some of them already on this uh, podcast. The second thing is uh, women, and I know a lot of them, and I'm, I'm going to be so excited to share this with them as well, is helping them get out of that nine to five and chase that dream, that passion project that they wanted to do. Yeah. Whether it be write a book. Yeah. Or, you know, do uh, create products, whatever that thing is. So, so those are your two sort of ideal people that you would want to work with and where you can bring the maximum value.
1: Yeah. I think so. Just based on my own personal experience. Yeah.
0: Fantastic. Okay, cool. Great. And so this coaching arm of what you're doing, is there like a name to it? Is there, so how do people find you if they want right your Right
1: now, LinkedIn but I'm working That's on That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm just on my LinkedIn profile. Um, but I do want to have, I am working on a website. Um, it'll be with Nicole.co. So I bought the thing because, so whether it's like coaching with Nicole or like marketing or whatever it is, like um, I'm just kind of leaving it open ended because I know myself as a human, I will evolve. So maybe it's pottery with Nicole in 30 years from, I don't know, (laughs) but I just wanted to make it open-ended and then I can just kind of like structure what it is I have to offer as I myself evolve over time. Um, So I have the domain, but if you go to it right now, there's nothing there.
0: No worries. In fact, so what we'll do is in the show notes, uh, we'll put all the links uh for nicole's social media profile including linkedin and you can reach out to her uh and she'll know if you listen to this podcast because she described how to reach out to people at the beginning of this podcast um okay so now are there any other final or lingering thoughts in terms of this coaching aspect of what you're doing
1: I don't think so. I'm just being honest and vulnerable and transparent and then I'm still figuring it out myself <laughs> as I go. So like, Love it. I don't know. And it yeah. could change. It could evolve. Um, I i am just being super honest when people reach out and um, if I think I can help them, I do. If not, like I'll try to connect them or if I can't, like I'm just honest about it. So
0: fantastic. Okay. So Work
1: in progress <laughs> to be determined, this
0: is good because it's, I don't know if this is the right analogy, but this is like the growth mindset. You're constantly learning, evolving, Mm -hmm. and you're curious. Mm -hmm. And I think those are all the right ingredients in, in progress, because that's one of the, I think the most core thing to a human is if you're not making progress, then you're actually going backwards. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And that progress could be as tiny as, you know, just doing that one thing that you needed to do could be, it's not the size, but it's, just taking that one little nudge and step, you know, nudge, step, push shove. I think there's some, some analogy like that. And um, I would say
1: that you want to do not, cause I think yeah. I was, I got addicted to progress that other people wanted me to do or um, progress in other people's definitions. Coming from the right place. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: You're right, Absolutely. I, I agree. Absolutely. And I think it, the journey that you've described is over this time, firstly, you've come in, you're Trying to find your center point, yeah. getting grounded in your own reality yeah. and not seeking external validation or uh, even the things that you're doing day to day is yeah. coming from this honest place, but from within. Mm-hmm. Totally. So, so we're actually, I think like two and a half hours in.
1: This is like a Joe Rogan podcast. Doesn't he talk for like three hours?
0: Yeah. I've never actually
1: listened to any of his <laughs> podcasts, but this is cool. Now I get, i like that. It makes sense. Could go on all day
0: i swear to god this literally felt like five minutes yeah but um i i mean i can open up so many other topics here but i have to be sort of cognizant of we can always do
1: like a part, part two. two
0: yeah yes yes um we'll definitely be doing a part two but yeah but uh the final segment of this podcast is sort of you know you're working on this startup called tall size mm-hmm. let's dive a little bit into that and mm-hmm. then uh and then after that we'll summarize and close cool. for today
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll keep it super high level. I think it's, it's pretty self-explanatory, but um, it's just obviously this theme that has carried out through my entire life. I'm tall. There's a lot of body images or body image issues and challenges that come along with being a tall woman um, as well as practical problems of finding clothes that fit your body. Right. And we all know how good it feels when you got a banging outfit on and you just like carry yourself differently. Right. But when you've got a shop in the men's section or you can't wear trendy or cute or feminine clothes because they don't make them for you it just makes you feel even shittier or like it, it adds to those body image issues that tall women face so my so the whole reason my myself and my co-founders started this this company um was to solve that problem and and literally yes it's it's it's, it's manifesting itself right now in the way of clothing but like Our vision is way bigger. We just want to serve this community of tall women um, because they're just completely, it's funny, they're overlooked. Not really in the like physical sense, you can see them, but in fashion and in so many areas of life, they're not thought about enough. Um, And so we're trying to be that company or the people who do that. Um, And so we built um, Tall Size, which is right now an online shopping platform, marketplace, whatever you want to call it. Um, we don't, we aren't fashion designers. We don't design our own clothes. I'm like more of like the tool, like how do I build something to solve this problem? Um, so we built a tool to basically partner with a bunch of brands, bring all of the items onto our site. So, you know, when you're shopping on tallsize.com that everything is made for you. Um, and we plan to grow it over time to like IRL, like in real life meetups and retreats and pop-up shops and like there's so many things that we want to do to just bring everyday normal shopping experiences that most people get to tall women um eventually we might release our own line of clothing and stuff like that um we'll just kind of see where it goes but that's the community we want to serve
0: wow um so two things one is of course, you've had this personal challenge your whole life, but is that the only reason why you, you started Tall Size? Or are there more sort of things that sort of catapulted you into this sort of startup? Two, you're talking about community. It's, so that, that I mean, I would love to know what your sort of big vision here is, because you're not just thinking an e-commerce site. Mm, yeah. There's definitely, of course, nothing has to be fleshed out, but I'm just curious yeah. about how you're even thinking about this.
1: Totally. Totally. I'm the type of person who has like the 10 year vision, totally locked down the like 90 day thing. I'm like, wait, so how do I, (laughs) um, so to answer your first question, um, yeah, it's a problem that I've experienced my entire life. Um, and so that definitely pushed me in this, in this place, but I think just naturally, like I'm very entrepreneurial, I'm always problem problem solving and build. I love building things and building solutions. So, um, when I was fed up enough with this problem of things, not fitting me properly, I decided to just like build a a solution for it. Um, and I think like, it kind of goes back to what I said earlier on is like, as a tall woman, I thought my, my purpose here on this planet as, because being tall is an important thing to me personally. Uh, it carries a lot of weight in my life and my experience. I thought it was, uh, to be a basketball player. Right. I thought that was what that purpose was. Um, but I'm noticing now that it's actually, um, different. It's, it's helping all these other tall women be more confident and whatever that looks like, whether that is because they have clothing that fits them or it's because they see content and things out on the internet on our website and whatever on our social where it is building tall women up and like not talking about how weird it is or whatever. Or if it's just that we're able to bring tall women together, like I said, like when I'm around my my co-founders or my tall friends, it's cool. You just like you, you, you carry yourself a little bit differently. Right. You can stand up straight when people take group pictures. You don't have to. So there's a lot of things like that, that I don't know what all the solutions are, but that's kind of our mission is like anything that we can do to help tall women. Be the most like confident and comfortable versions of themselves, we will do. Like nothing is off the table, basically.
0: That is so cool. Um slight flavor of Jordan Belfort, maybe. No, right. <laughs> Just kidding. Been
2: practicing my whole Just life. Just kidding.
0: Um, so okay, so so the so, so the big vision is you know to empower and enable, you know, and and make women feel confident in their own skin, be it tall, and especially the women who are tall. Yeah. Um and you're also thinking of building a community around it and encouraging IRL in real life events. One of the things I, wanted, I would love to know, and if you want to talk about this, if you feel comfortable, is like, what kind of things as a startup are you doing to get yourself in front of tall women? And how do you even find them?
1: The first thing was we found a bunch of Facebook groups with thousands and thousands of tall women literally posting links of like, hey, I bought this long sleeve shirt on Amazon. The sleeves are like surprisingly long. Here's the link, go buy it. And they just share all these links of clothing items that they find that happen to be long or like the gap happens to like have a pair of jeans that are extra long. So that has been good. That actually was like a big launching pad for us because as soon as we built it, we just started dropping it in there and people, we get thousands of people come to our site. So um, that was really, really helpful to us. So that's one way we find them. Um, The other thing is we started dabbling in some like paid advertising, kind of. So we created a style quiz um, so that to help women, we worked with a stylist on it to help tall women discover their own personal like style profile. Because again, we don't know We, we've never had the like luxury of like being able to express ourselves through fashion. We don't know what our style is. So being able to like create these fun experiences for, for tall women is just super cool and really rewarding. So anyways, we built this thing and I decided to put some paid ads behind it. Um, and I just, I'm like in the copy, I just led with, are you a tall woman, woman who struggles to find clothes that fit? take our style, quit two minute, quit, whatever, get your style. And then like, we obviously capture data on their actual height. But like, as soon as you like lead with that type of language, only tall women are going to see that and react to it or want to take action. So that's another way we've been like building up our email list and stuff like that. Um, and then actually today I'm going to Staples after this, I'm going to, I've printed off, we've designed basically like little things that I just, when I, I can see my, I can see physically with my eyes, customers, right. I can just go up to them and be like, Hey, I, have this stuff. You're tall.
0: Oh, <laughs> so, I love it.
1: Like, you can't, you can't, like, if you, I don't know, let's say I have like a, I make sweaters. You can't just walk up to them and assume their style is what you create, right? But like, I can just walk up to a tall woman and like 99% of the time, she's going to resonate with the fact that it's really hard to find clothes that fit her body. So I'm going to do more of that. I haven't done a lot of that. And then my co founder is an Olympic basketball player and WNBA player. And so, she has a whole network of people as well that has helped us a lot. So,
0: that is really cool. Mm-hmm. I think you you had uh, sort of done a breakdown of how to do the that quiz, email yeah. the quiz. It and was
1: so powerful.
0: How to capture leads and how to sort of build out that it worked so funnel. Well.
1: Yeah. So I shared it on LinkedIn because it was like we had been growing our list slowly but surely, and like for me, I'm an email marketer. I had all the things going right. Like I had all the things, but like. um, those only work so well. Right. And so, uh, yeah, when we, when we did the quiz, I forget, I think it was something like 50, we grew our, our list like 50 something percent, um, in two months when like compared to the previous nine months, we had been like slowly growing it just by doing this quiz. And like, it was fun and tall women were sharing it with it. Like, you know, so it was kind of cool. So, and I think so many, we did it at Chopra too. They had all these like wellness retreats. They were all drastically different which retreat is right for you so i think it lends itself to a lot of businesses so i'm like i need to share this because this is kind of a gold mine
0: <laughs> i love it i think th- there's like this uh, sort of baked into that is this personalization that mm-hmm. we're not just giving you anything generic yeah. that with that quiz you're making it personalized and making it sort of custom feeling yeah to the at person but but for the people who are listening and watching and of course we'll put the link of that specific linkedin post yeah. where you sort of did the breakdown in the in the show notes But if you were to give us like the cliff notes of it, that would be great.
1: Yeah, just, um, so I used Typeform, uh, which was the tool we used. um, Making sure obviously that the quiz is like something that would provide a ton of value to the person taking it. Like don't make it about you, make it about them. Uh, Keep it short and sweet. Uh, I think we ask seven, I forget, somewhere between seven to 10 questions. Uh, It takes less than two minutes to do. Um, I would do that. And then I would also say like, I think my advice was to ask like five questions that actually will determine their result, but then sprinkle in a couple other ones. Like for me, I wanted to know exactly how tall you were. I wanted to know, we asked also what your body type was, right? So if you're like an H shape or an A or an X or whatever, we can recommend now clothes that, flatter those body types, right? So we collected a lot of information that would help us further, like personalize the experience for our customers. So definitely do that. Um, And then ask for the emails, the very last step, because a lot of people ask like, hey, to get started, what's your email address? People are like, fuck that, I'm out of here, they don't do it. So make them do the like, (laughs) it's a little psychology here, but like make them get pretty much there and be like, cool, give us your email, we'll email you your results, um, as well as some like recommendations and stuff like that. Um and bam
0: so you're building out this or actually hold on, let me take one step back for a second is for people who are starting to start you know their business' they're, mm-hmm. they're starting to start like a new product, I think what you talked about is that you went where the conversation was already happening. you found those Facebook groups, for example, yep. and you plugged into that and you, and you started to observe, okay, what's happening here mm-hmm. and then you were able and that's basically like talking to your users understanding your users
1: it's gold i right? literally just scroll through there and just look at the conversations that are happening to help us inform how we can best help it's yeah it's cool
0: yeah and so for anybody out there who's got no budget and they're like you know i don't have like some smart just go where the conversation's happening just listen to what people are saying
1: Forums, there's a lot of conversations on twitter or on reddit depending on who your customer is right look at like what the trending tiktok videos are of people complaining about pro- like. Yeah,
0: there is always a way, you know, you just have to be a little bit enterprising. Mm -hmm. You have to have some agency and, you know, you once you find that pulse and then you sort of double down on that pulse. And uh, and then the other thing that you talked about is when you do these targeted lead capturing sort of Mm -hmm. to build out your funnel and all that stuff, you're focusing on the people and their pain points and not necessarily trying to sell a product. Yeah. And even that quiz, you're trying to learn more about them, so that even makes it even more custom and tailored to that audience. I think I don't know how much that plays into you know hooking them in and get getting their interest and ask so it's like give, 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 I want to learn more about you and then ask for their email mm-hmm. so when the uh, when you get their email, what typically happens
1: after that? yeah, so it'll so they'll give you your email and then based on their answers to the questions. Depending on how they answered the question, it assigned points to the different outcomes of the quiz. And so whichever outcome has the most points, that's their quiz result, right? It's like when you like when I was in high school, I'd be like, who's your dream boyfriend, Nick Carter or Justin Timberlake, right? And you like fill out these quizzes and it tells you who, whatever. It's the same idea. So it's fun. And you give them their result based on their preferences and what they said. Um, you could stop there. But what we did was we then triggered that result to them through email. Um, actually, the first thing we did on the landing page that shows the result, we tell them about it. Our stylist wrote a little blurb about like things that, you should like gravitate to, to like further express your style, blah, blah, blah. And then the secondary thing was like, oh, Hey, we also have a collection of products that match. So we basically mapped all of our products to each of the six style profiles.
0: Oh my God. And Fuck. it was like
1: shop the, so like for me, I'm the timeless. Minimalist. I'm having
0: goosebumps. Thank like you. love it. Nice. Love it.
1: So I, my profile was the timeless minimalist. And so it would say shop the timeless minimalist collection. And it was only products that like match that preference. Right. Love it. So we did that. So we would trigger the email with the result as well as a link out to that thing. Um, And then we have those on our website. So people can be like, if people are like, oh, well, what's the timeless minimalist collection? Because they haven't done the quiz. We have a call to action to take the quiz. That gets us more data about how tall they are, who they are, their preferences. And then that can inform, like, we are not there yet. I'm not going to sound like we're bigger than we are. But like my, my vision here is that we have a whole like product personalization recommendation engine that like takes in their style preference, takes in their, um, their height and like the actual data around like their measurements or stuff they've bought previously. And we're only marketing to them like the stuff that is for them. We're not there yet. We we market to everybody the same way right now for the most part. So we'll get there.
0: That's a, that's a good goal and good vision to have is Mm -hmm. to have predictive sort of AI, yeah, you know, algorithms sort of working in the background. Yeah. And being that sartorial sort of
1: I would say this is like a way it's not quite a I like I want to have that eventually, like algorithms and all that fancy stuff. But I think quizzes are a really cool way to like bootstrap your way to that, right? Like yes, yeah.
0: Be scrappy and yeah. like even the thing that you're saying, you're gonna go print out pamphlets or whatever that <laughs> thing is and hand them out one by one. I love it. I love the scrappiness and being having that ingenuity, mm-hmm. you know, finding those little crevices where there's opportunity yeah. uh, to make things happen. Uh, love it. Okay, so let's close on uh, two things. Number one is, um, in terms of first, we'll just sort of wrap up the tall size, yeah. the, the business that you're doing. Yeah. And then the finally, uh, I'll give a quick summary of what I've learned. And then uh. three, any final words that you will have uh, that you want to sort of leave the audience with and and then any uh, i think it'll be good to just sort of reiterate what's the best way to connect with you sure yeah okay so first so with tall size so you're on this beautiful journey you're you're doing these uh you're you're being scrappy and you're plugging into where the conversation is happening and then you're finding in sort of ingenious sort of ways to uh make it feel personalized and ai and data driven Mm uh and 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 use and even the products that you're matching, you know, to the response that the customer is giving you, I I just found that so beautiful. Like it's you're not there's nothing generic about everything that you're doing, and it's not some millions of dollars of budget required. It's just a little bit of thinking required. And by the way, if you don't know how to do this, just contact Nicole. Yeah. Um. So love all the meticulous detail, and I think that thread is coming through based on you being that curious person at Well.ca. Mm-hmm. and asking everybody how they do things and you know so i see that you know um as one two you know you constantly focus on the experience that the person is having um and that also goes to the relationship part that you were talking about in terms of where tall size is right now what is the next ambitious thing that you're trying to solve right now? And then we'll close the tall side and we'll bring you back and then see where you progress in like a year from now.
1: Ooh, cool. I like that. Um, So we just wrapped our first year in business, which was a lot of foundational building. Like we, we formed like 20 partnerships with different brands, got them convinced to join our platform. Um, built the technology, the logistics, like drop shipping is like, that's how we're fulfilling right now. We have a dream to be able to own the whole thing eventually, but it's complicated. Um, so I would say year one was very foundational. This year is very much about like getting our name out there and building our community because I'm happy with our onsite conversion rate. I'm happy with our repeat purchase rate, but we don't have enough people coming to the site every day. So Even if those things are doing really well, that's only going to get us so far. So we need to fill the top of our funnel a little bit more and get our name out there and in front of more tall women. Um, So yeah, that's our our goal for the next year is like building our community. So let me give a, right now our community is about 6,500 tall women. Hopefully in a year, it's like 50,000 to 100. So we'll see. We'll check in on that when we do part two.
0: That is really cool. That that (laughs) is cool.
1: I just want as many tall women to know about us and to kind of join and come along this journey with us and find each other as well. Um, That's really the goal for for right now.
0: So, just two quick final thoughts on just sort of what I've heard. One is the the community aspect that you're talking about. Are they all like nested in some sort of? like a slack group discord is like like is
1: that or is that
0: like more of like they're part of this email community that you've built out
1: email social um and then we also have our own facebook group as well um got it but yeah there's no i would say that the facebook group is probably the closest to like a slack or something like that but um we just want to build that up i'm not exactly sure how that like creates itself yet um but really it comes down to like even in-person experiences and things like that right like we want to be able to have that group of women to invite to these things um and bring to these things and, and whatnot so
0: okay and then one one final thing so and this is the reason i'm gonna ask you this question is because it's a time to when we do this next okay so one thing is i'm really curious was like what is currently the average cart value acv of your current customers and if you want to share that mm-hmm. totally your call and then two this is going to be a more long vision question which will connect to the next time when we talk a year from now maybe or maybe sooner uh, I, I don't have a fixed one year sort of between each talk but um, w- the other thing I'm really curious because because it's such a niche and the way you sort of describe the pain point and how you know you, the response that you're getting mm-hmm. the lifetime value of each person that you bring into this ecosystem it's like you're selling them cigarettes they're they're with you forever unless like other i don't know i don't know how you think about these two things so acv and ltv how do you and then we close there
1: yeah so i i don't know our ltv yet because it's only been a year but um our acv is it's changed a lot because we just switched something um in terms of like free shipping thresholds and stuff but it's about 120 to 130 Um, I would say we have a small group of customers right now. So we've done about just under 500 orders. Um, we have a small group of customers who have ordered with us like five, six, seven, and it's in less than a year, um, spending over a thousand dollars. So I do believe that, um, once we get them, if we can be that like trusted resource, we can keep them coming back. Um, the other thing is that we work with a variety of brands, right? So they, so yes, it's niche but they don't also have to only like our style because we work with so many different brands. They can find what they need with us. And I think that that is in my opinion, key to succeeding um, with this niche audience because otherwise it gets a little too niche. Do you know what I mean? Um, So being able to um, give them choice and options is really what we're leaning into. Um, And then I think the other thing that I'm mindful of is um, as a, from a business perspective, we need multiple revenue streams. We can't rely only on the marketplace. So this is where like in-person events come in. Um, we've already had brands reach out to us asking how to like advertise on our website because we have all these women. So there's other ways that, um, we're going to need to develop in order to, um, to build a, like a sustainable business, but, yeah, that's where things are at right now.
0: Oh, I'm so curious to ask you, you know, cost of acquisition, but I don't know yet. But yeah. So definitely this is a good timestamp for the next time when yeah. we talk, whenever that is. Yeah. Uh and then okay, so I'm gonna do a quick summary of okay. what we talked about. Okay. In the meantime, if you wanna think about what are the final words you wanna leave off the audience with, one okay. and two, um, where they can connect with you. Okay. Yeah. So uh so from what from whatever it is that you grew up in a small town. And, you know, you got exposed to sales and Jordan Belfort, dad being in sales. And you and you were this tall person in a small town and you found some home and community in being in basketball, it, by playing basketball. And that's where you sort of found your community. Um, you know, there's also this idea of fitting in and, you know, your parents encouraging you to stand tall. I think the the, the element of you having empathy for other people you know because you wanted to please other people make other people happy so you are always thinking about other people so that one thread has carried forward till today you're always thinking about the customer what they're feeling Mm -hmm. how do i make it easy for them that's a thread that's continued throughout your life two um you focused on building that community and relationship actually what is community community is relationships one uh, one to one and one to many and that has also been a thread throughout your life mm-hmm. that you've always focused on, even from your well.ca days, yeah. That and being proactive, being curious, and always learning. Yeah. Um, always. And <clears throat> the other aspect is, which I really, 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 really liked, was um, that you were never waiting for permission. You're always proactive and like, and there are no rules. Wait, I can go talk to that person. I can go ask them that question. Mm-hmm and you would present the business case and say, I want to take that responsibility. You wouldn't shy away from asking for more. Right. And all those little things that you were doing has continued with you and stayed with you till now. And of course they've evolved and you've become more nuanced and much better at it. Um, And then the other thing, which I also really, you know, thought was that sort of stuck out to me was that part of that relationship building and, you know, having empathy for, it's like how do i make it easy for the other person you know now you can see that reflect even in the way you do your quizzes and email everything that you do is sort of stemming from this you know center place uh and then finally um irrespective of and this is i think a good closing point is that you know whether you're starting out or you are x vp and have led these senior roles you know when you're trying to build a relationship with anybody, whether it be with your colleague or you're trying to start a business and trying to find a client, go in interested and ask informed questions by doing the research beforehand, learn about that person. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be senior, you know, uh, and you can be in a position of controlling that conversation because you're asking interesting questions. You're challenging, not threatening. Yes. And you, um, um, so that so that that holds true for juniors and seniors and by setting that tone early you're creating a perception in the other person's mind of your skill set because you are what you communicate yeah um so that's so those are all sort of (laughs) the the best learnings that i've had (laughs) just the best learnings (laughs) that i've had from sort of this conversation um okay so now over to sort of you Uh, for any final thoughts, uh, notes before Mm we wrap up.
1: Yeah. I think like if I were to leave with just like one message or one piece of advice to anyone listening to this is just, um, get really clear on what it is that you want. You underline capital bolded all those things. Cause I think whatever, I'm not going to get into it. We've all pleased way too many other people. So get clear on what you want. Um, And think about it every day, think about it every single day. And just like, naturally you'll start to gravitate towards opportunities and people that are in line with that. Um, and it just brings you closer to like who you are, what makes you happy and you'll just feel more fulfilled. Like that's one big learning I've had this past year. Um, and then I think the last thing is just like, uh, yeah, create those relationships and create those opportunities. Don't wait for them to come to you. Um,
0: Great. Nicole, this was a super fun conversation. I learned so much and I love your perspective. I love the way you approach life and you are this curious, like progressing person. Um, So where can people find you and connect with you
1: right now? Just hit me up on LinkedIn if it's like business related. Yeah, I'll put my other social stuff in there. Everything's open. I'm an open book, so you can follow along there. But I would say if it's uh, related to tall size or coaching or consulting just hit me up on linkedin for now and then hopefully in the next little while i launch my website and that would be another place but um, we can add that to the show notes when the time comes
0: cool thank you so much
1: Thanks, paul this was really fun
0: same agreed it's
1: really fun cool dude